Hey, hey, all you beautiful people out there. It's your boy Hobart coming through on the Bartcast, episode two. Today I got a really special guest for you guys. Um, it's one of my old homies from back in the day from the Valley. Uh, we grew up on the same street. Shout out Arroyo Road, Force Knowles, California. And uh, this guy is just, uh, you know, just an all-around gent. Uh, he is someone that I couldn't think of anybody better for to talk about this topic today. Today we are going into uh, our top 10 hip-hop albums of all time. I have a feeling that this is going to be uh, somewhat controversial for our fellow hip-hop heads out there because I know everybody's got really strong opinions about their top 10 and I just want to start with a disclaimer that I am by no means an authority on this subject. I am someone that loves hip-hop music. It's been a huge force in my life um, but you know I'm, I'm coming to this with the full understanding uh, that uh, my experience and knowledge is limited and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that could speak with greater authority. Um, my approach to putting together my list was just to try and find, uh, the, you know, the 10 albums that had like their greatest impact on me, um, you know, as a person, as an artist, and as an appreciator of music. And it's by no means saying that these are the 10 all-time best albums for any for everybody, but uh, for me, these are the 10, you know, insofar so much that I could put together a list. Uh, you know, I had to leave a lot out on the page. Um, and, and I'm sure there are many that I forgot. And there's many out there that people could argue um, onto my list that I would gladly accept. But, uh, but these are 10 that I feel really strongly about. And I think they're really just amazing masterpieces. And I couldn't think of anybody better to go through uh, our respective lists with then my friend Brandon Johnson. He is a high school basketball coach and freelance web developer. And I've known him since elementary school, really. Um, and, you know, Brandon, our friendship has, has revolved a lot around hip hop. He's a friend that really uh, was instrumental in introducing the genre to me and then uh, making sure that I got the type of education uh, that was really necessary um, to fully appreciate the art form. And I'm really grateful to have had his influence in, in how I approach and listen to this music. So um, we get into it. This is a long one. I think it's about three hours and 45 minutes. So, you know, if y'all are liking it, we definitely get off on some, some tangents and get pretty deep with the philosophy and um, but I do got to say like this one was really fun and it really just flowed and uh, I'm really excited to put this out there to the world. I can't wait to share it with all you guys. So without any further ado, let's give it up. Let me introduce my boy Brandon Johnson on the BartCast. <laughs> Thank you. 
what's good? What up? You want to do audio or video? We can keep it audio. I think we'll probably get better recording quality if we just do do audio on it. Cool, cool. I'm a, like coming in all right? Yeah, you sound good, man. Um, cool. How you been? Dude, great. I just uh, I just ate a delicious 3 p.m. breakfast. My roommate, uh, she just baked set, like fresh sourdough bread. Um, we wow. we uh, I live about a half a block away in Oakland from like the best pizza spot and uh, it's run by this like uh, really talented baker and they do like fresh baked sourdough loaves every day so when they shut down they're they've been like selling the sourdough starter and my roommate got some and she's been like you know feeding the yeast and getting it ready for the last couple days so today she just baked these loaves and I had to cook a couple sunny side up eggs and throw them on top with butter and it was just like perfect mm. wow <laughs> yeah this uh this period of time is definitely redefining what time breakfast uh <laughs> actually is i think for a lot of people <laughs> definitely yeah i mean you know i had a lot of coffee today already and i've just been like tweaking uh little things for on the podcast i had to get my top 10 uh all ranked up which was very hard and uh I felt like progressively sillier the more that I was attempting to put these albums into a ranked system. But, uh, you know, mm. in the end, you know, it's like you just got to go with it and uh, we'll see what we got here. And, you know, I, I think a, a great disclaimer that we were talking about earlier for anybody listening is just that, like, these aren't necessarily what we're saying are the 10 best hip hop albums of all time, but rather you know, the 10 albums that maybe had the biggest impact or if one can put together a ranked 10, it's, it's our best bet or our best attempt, you know? Yeah. There's so many different ways that you can go with it. Um, you could do, you could take your, your top 10 best hip hop artists or duos or groups and take their best album, or you could go with, you know, what was the most influential, what was the most foundational. Um, there's a lot of new stuff out there, uh, too. Um, so it's it's hard. It was really hard for me to really, and I, I know I left a ton out. Yeah. Right yeah, with that. <laughs> I left a ton out. I left a ton of great artists out. I left mm -hmm. a a ton of albums where a lot of people will be saying this is my top album and it's not even on your list right. um, even albums from some of the artists that i chose people will be thinking well that might not be their best album um i, I feel you uh, i think maybe the most recent album on my list is from probably a decade ago <laughs> so I might have a bit of the, you know, Michael Jordan syndrome where I just, you know, uh, preference the ones that uh, that were with me during, you know, earlier periods of my life. But um, but that's what I had to go with, you know, that the, the ones that like really affected me in my development as a, as a music appreciator. Yeah, I, I'm fully on board with you. Uh, on that a lot of my stuff is from the 90s mm -hmm. um, but I think that that there's a reason for that yeah <laughs> and it's because I think nowadays you can buy stuff a la carte 
Right. Right. You can you can buy individual songs. Back in the '90s, we did have some singles, but for the most part, you had to go to the warehouse or Tower Records. You had to save up your 15, 20 bucks, and you weren't buying an album if you just liked one song on it, right? Yeah. Because you were paying 20 bucks for one song at that point, mm-hmm. right? So people, so these artists had to make legitimately all the way through solid albums for anyone to go out and buy them. Right. I think that, yeah, absolutely. So I think that for that reason, there's, uh, there's a larger collection of albums that are good all the way through. Yeah. And I I, I think it's telling, you know, this might be a controversial thing to say, but in my opinion, like I think hip hop kind of peaked in the 90s especially like in the mid 90s as far as like that's kind of when there was like this almost um perfect merge of like the the art the artistry itself becoming aligned with pop where pop culture was at um before Mm -hmm. the balance kind of flipped and the and like pop took it and kind of diluted it a little bit it seems like there were a couple years there in the mid to late 90s where the best or you know in my opinion maybe the most uh powerful hip-hop music that was being made was just also happened to be the music that was being featured on trl or you know mtv or something like that um and it, and it went from being this kind of underground movement to something that the whole society at large was participating in absolutely yeah there are a lot more artists i think than that were it it didn't just feel like it was for commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. It felt like people actually wanted to say something, whether it be about uh, culture at large, um, whether it be about their circumstances, where they came from, um, or something kind of, a, you know, the spiritual nature. Right. Uh, there was just more to it lyrically. And... You know, it, it, it felt like the 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 rhythms, the um, the and the rhymes were just a little bit more playful. There was a little bit, you know, there was a little bit more of I'm gonna show you what 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 I got in terms of range, not mm-hmm. just having one particular style, mm-hmm. but showing off all different kinds of styles. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it was. You're right. I feel like it was a golden age and people forget talking about Jordan, you know, people forget what it was like in kind of that mid nineties era where it it reminded you of watching nineties basketball, right? Right. Where it was almost like a physical sport. For sure. Uh, Yeah. You had the, you had the, the, uh, what the bad boy, the bad boy Knicks or the bad boy Pistons or whatever. And then you had, you know, bad boy uh, records. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was you had that coast west rivalry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was and, and really that. Uh, I think that, like globaliz- globalization was kind of just starting to take root, but you still had this like really discernible difference in not only like the musicality, but the recording techniques of how uh, hip hop was being created, you know, on the East coast versus the West coast, you got like, 
DJ sampling vinyl versus, uh, you know, more live instrumental on the, on the West Coast. And uh, there was, because the internet wasn't really a thing, you didn't have as much cross-pollination or, or culture bleed going on. It was still just starting to kind of percolate um, and, and largely through, you know, radio, right? That was such a big factor for spreading this stuff. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't, uh, you know, there, we, couldn't, we couldn't just get songs on our phone instantly, right? We had to listen to the radio. You had to call in to request what you wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, same thing with CMC. You could dial in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, you remember that? Which Dude, they like, we... buy, buy one album, get 10 free or whatever the... Right, Those right, like CD right. uh, scam. I mean, I guess they were scams. I don't know. I signed up for a couple of them and got the. It was like a, a way to quickly build up your early CD collections back in the day. Right. Yeah. The game totally changed with Napster. Oh yeah. Uh, what was it? Morpheus. Kazaa. LimeWire. The game totally changed. Where all of a sudden you could burn the songs that you wanted and all of a sudden you can make mixes right of the song and then you could share music a lot more easily right where you could burn cds it would take a long time you remember the aol oh, man. dial it would take for six k like kids would not get it these days if right. we told them that we needed like a week to download a song yeah <laughs> i remember one of the first songs i downloaded off i think it was morpheus was uh it was fabulous. Y'all can't deny it. I'm straight right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Which was like a quote of the Tupac song or whatever. But um, shout out to Sophie Yano. I remember she was like the first kid at the open classroom to get a CD burner. And uh, mm. she had like the, the early hustle going on where it was like you gave her 10 bucks on Friday. And, the you know, the CD that you wanted burned you, I think this was even before downloading, so you had to give her the physical copy of the CD, or maybe she had it, and then she would bring on in on Monday. She'd bring you your CD, and you'd gladly pay that ten bucks. You know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that was the that was the style back then. I sort of feel bad about it now. Yeah. You know, being in situations like what what we're going through with the pandemic kind of illuminate the impact that artists have on our lives. I mean, the like going through a shelter in place, quarantine, without all the things that, that artists bring, the shows, the music, uh, you know, they're they're hopping onto Instagram and they're uh, doing little sets or something like that. Um, I feel bad about that era where the artists really didn't get paid right. for, for you know, for, for any of that, we were pirating their music, uh, for quite a long time there. Uh, so I try not to make it uh, a habit now, but it was, it definitely exposed you to, to, to a lot more music than you could get at that time because it was just, it was expensive to buy music. It was. Yeah. It had a lot. I was, I was just talking to a good buddy of mine the other night about this. He's a, an independent artist um and he's you know he's he's pretty damn successful you know in the current climate you know he tours nine months of the year and his band is like 
you know, for what they do, they own all their rights and they, they do their music. But we were just talking about um, how valuable a unit of music, you know, used to be when we were growing up. And you couldn't just go to Spotify and look up an artist and find their whole catalog. And, you know, with the Spotify model, like, yeah, it's real convenient. And I, I would be a hypocrite if I said I didn't use it. I definitely do. However, if you gave me the choice of it going back to the way it was tomorrow, I got to say, I wouldn't miss Spotify. Like I miss the days of having a CD binder in my car and that like almost that process of like having to go through your limited selection and choose the one that was, they were all played out, but choosing the one that was just a little bit less played out, you like developed this relationship with those CDs. Maybe you had 15 and yeah, you'd heard them all a million times, but you know, maybe the one was 900,000 and you know, 99 times and you went for that one. And because of that, uh, you know, you built up this relationship with the, with the album uh, that I think today it's a lot harder to do um, when you can just, you have this like gluttony of choice. Yeah, not only were you building a relationship with the album, but you would also build relationships with other people. And this is where where we really got close were was was sharing those CDs. Right. Oh, you've got this, you know. Well, I'll trade you this for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you have some part of the collection. I have another part, so we can exchange. Right. And and that's how a lot of relationships for us around that time developed is is through different people sharing their their music mm-hmm. certain people have little parts of of the whole and you you'd kind of add to your collection right. and from a whole different range of range of folks and you sort of have memories the the, the memories of the music connect with the people that you 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 listen to those songs those albums with along the way. Right. I mean, that brings up, you know, I'll never forget. Uh, I think it was like sophomore year where we, you and me were talking and we had this conversation and I was like a huge biggie head. And, you know, I confessed to you that I never really saw the appeal of Tupac. Like I didn't get it, you know? And you were like, what? Like, this is no way, man. Like this is, you need to like this guy, you know, if we're going to be friends pretty much. And we took that trip to backpacking trip to the Sierras. And I remember you picking me up and you were like, all right, man, I got like the entire discography of Tupac. We got three hours to get there, you know, and three hours on the way back. And by the end of this trip, you're going to be a Tupac fan. And true to your word, you know, we, we listened to all of his albums. And by the time we got back to the Bay, I was like diehard convert, you know, with the, with the zealousness that only someone that like, is converted can be, I became like a Tupac, uh, evangelist for the next like four years <laughs> of my life. <laughs> and, and it, you know, and that was part of, that becomes part of the relationship, not only to the music, but to the person who, who shares it with you and turns it on. It'll always be, there always will be that like road trip, at, you know, that's associated with, with learning about, you know, him as an artist. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a great trip. I always remember that. For sure. And yeah, it's, it's, it's hard not, and there, there's some people that today, like when you talk to younger folks today, mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't get it about, about Tupac. He's right. not, 
he's just not just it just doesn't click for them and i would definitely whoever is listening to this uh if you're in that camp yeah he's he might not be the best te- you might be able to find better technical rappers out there like he's not a you know, a Tech Nine or an Eminem, something like that, uh, where you're gonna get the, the the this full range of what rap is capable of. He's more of a poet, and he's gonna distill things down to their essence. And he's a storyteller, and he's um, you know kind of puts a mirror up to. Um, to society, what's what's wrong with it? What it has done to him? He's he's a guy that is very, you know, self-reflective. It's like opening up a diary sometimes when when you listen to. It. And so, if you're interested in in going deep on that level, I think that there's always uh, room for that in in you know, your hip hop archive for anybody. Right. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I think I took, and that was beautifully said. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think that as far as, uh, you know, and this is something we can get into as we go through our list, but you know, the classic Biggie versus Tupac debate, you know, where I always came down on it was like, I felt like for me, Biggie was, the better lyricist as far as raw talent if i was going to put my money on someone in a cypher you know biggie had that raw uh sense of in- intuitive rhythm and ability to construct these like complex uh rhythmic streams he was like a uh one of those um like cuban talking drummers who could just fire out stanza after stanza of of just these funky rhythms with his voice that while weaving his lyrics into it so that it not only felt right rhythmically, but the words themselves made sense. And for me, Tupac was the master songwriter and he had a way of, uh, you know, creating a catalog of content where, I mean, how many rappers out there could write a Hail Mary and a Dear Mama and, and you didn't feel like they were phoning it in on either. They both were like complete accurate representations of this person's stream of consciousness um i just think that right uh, yeah you know they they had different strengths but you know there's even that i think you showed me back in the day there was that video of the two of them freestyling they're in that room uh and and biggie kind of blows tupac out of the water with his with his freestyle mm-hmm. But it was because, you know, Tupac was a songwriter and he was the kind of guy that could fire off a hit, you know, in the taxi on the way to the, to the studio. And he just had such an efficiency of creating, you know, high quality songs. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, Biggie, Biggie, Biggie was, yeah, I mean, he was just another... And what what sucks with both of them, obviously, is I think, you know, Pac, I know Pac died at 25. I think Biggie was 24, I mm-hmm. think. Right. Either 24 or 26. Um, super duper young. And yeah. what they, <laughs> yeah. what they both could have, I mean, just incredible, incredible talent. Uh, and what they could have done, you know, in, 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 in those 10, 15 years. 
um, in their in their prime would have just been phenomenal. I mean, they just you know, there's some people that would argue, oh, well, we can't put Biggie in, you know, the, the as the top rapper because he just doesn't have the body of work, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, the man, you know, the man died in his in his you know mid 20s he would be someone that i would be calling a kid right, <laughs> you know i'm right. 32 years old i'm like totally. sort of I feel like i'm old enough now to be calling a 20 25 year old a kid right. now right <laughs> um, yeah and it's you just know it's someone incredible. my my answer to that would be that look what he did with such little time and you know almost his work is more valuable because it's so limited in what he, how many times he actually, you know, got on the track, and every time that you see him represented, and when he pops up on features or whether it's his own catalog, it's like he was batting a thousand, you know. Absolutely. I'm trying to think yeah. of like a weak Biggie track, and I don't really have one. <laughs> you know, it's like no. yeah, yeah. No. You know, they, everybody everybody has those ones that you know don't never really float to the top. But even on the ones that I don't really listen to as much, like you listen to the lyrics, you could probably listen to it like ten times and actually fall in love with the song if you like put in the effort to getting to know it. You know. Yeah, with the lyrics, the rhythm, funkiness. Mm-hmm. He could be smooth. Yeah. Uh, he just, yeah, he had it. He really did have it all. He could make those hits that you could chill to, but he could also make the party, party mm-hmm. raps. Right. I, I uh, listened to him. I listened to in preparation for our conversation. I, uh, you know, when I when I run, I pretty much only listen to hip hop because it just it's something about it gets my adrenaline going like no other genre can, and. Recently, I put on Ready to Die. I hadn't listened to it in prob- at least five years. And I just, it was like I was rediscovering it all over again, listening to him. And I was just like, this guy is so good. Like, oh mm. my God. Like, you know, not that I ever forgot or was in doubt, but just getting to revisit it, you know, having spent a lot of time listening to other music to come back. Like I was listening to it with a different set of ears and and just as blown away as my, you know, 15-year-old years. Yeah, I'd be interested to see where you have that. That's got that's on your list, right? Oh yeah. Ready to die. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm interested to see where you put it. I am too. I knew that we'd probably likely both have it on the list, so we'll uh you know, with all that getting said, you think we should dive in here and get this get this show started? Yeah, let's might as well dive in. Cool. Well, you know, as as my guest, I'm going to give you the honor of, of going first. And uh, maybe before we get started, if you want, just say a couple things about um, like what it was like to put this list together and like how your personal uh, rating system works in terms of like, you know, what, uh, you know, what, what caused you to include these titles? Well, we can do it one by one as you go through, but also just generally like when you were putting this this list together, what qualities helped you or, or hindered you from making the decisions? Yeah, I think that the, the biggest hindrance was just the amount of good albums that I was realizing that there was. And so the list that I have, I think preferences my style a bit 
which is a little bit more on the conscious side. Um, I don't have a lot of more more popular artists, and I also don't have more of I think like you more recent or you know in the older like the early 90s sort of like the roots uh of hip-hop i don't i don't have have a lot of that in here i do have ones that i think absolutely moved the genre forward and what i feel like were transformative and i also have a few that are just kind of my personal favorite and just went with my my get and went with my heart on a few of these. Um, but the, the number 10 I got is, uh, is Illmatic nice. by Nas. Mm-hmm. And what was, what was tough about this one is that I, I like Stillmatic just as much. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, one mic on Stillmatic is to, to me, his best song and I also think it's one of the best songs in hip hop, period, like in history. Uh, I just think that it's that it's that good. But from 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 top to bottom, I think Illmatic Illmatic was just too incredible to to leave off. Um, all the way through this, uh, the world is yours, life's a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can just go New from York top to mind. New York state of mind. I mean, he is, she just gets after it. And it's got that, that kind of gritty New York feel to it. And you could tell that, you know, the, the, you know, he's young, he's hungry. And I think this, this album was just successful on every single level. You have to take into account I think with 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 great albums, they have to be very very well produced. Also, I think that this album just matches his style. Um, yeah, from from top to bottom, I, I thought it was fantastic. I, I could have had it had it even even higher up on the list, but I have that as ten. Nice. Yeah. I will. I will say that uh, that that is on my list as well. Uh, albeit in a, I have it a little bit higher up the list, so we can. Uh, speak more about it um as it comes up again but with with Illmatic as your number 10 I'm I'm excited to see uh what else uh rises above it and I think uh you know um format wise maybe we'll just trade off and I'll say my 10 and then we can go nine and nine and and so on if that make makes sense to you yeah that sounds good Cool. So, uh, yeah, great choice. Um, I'll say that Illmatic is definitely up there for me. And uh, I'm going to hold off any more comments until it comes up on my list because I have a lot to say on that topic. But for me, number 10, um, I had to go with an album that I think would be a lot of people's number one. It's one of the greatest. I mean, it's almost silly for me that this could be even in my number 10 spot. And you know, a lot of people could easily convince me of why it's number one. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that I couldn't be persuaded. I just, just personally, as far as the albums that had an effect on me, um, that's why this one's on 10. And I think, you know, I think the number 10 spot in some ways is, uh, even more important or like, 
uh, weighted than some of the other spots on the list because there's such a like an iceberg of other titles that are just below it that like easily could have slid onto my 10 and like the fact that it made it into the 10 I think gives it should give it like an even extra level of gravitas so for not my number 10 I I chose Snoop Dogg doggy style I just That's think you know yeah. it's it's like the Snoop Dogg album um I don't you know he's he has a amazing body of work but I think most fans of his and fans of hip hop and in general would agree that doggy style um is his magnum opus you know that's his masterpiece um and you know just just the the slew of titles uh you know i remember driving around when i was little with with my mom and and it, it uh it came on the radio a uh, serial killer and i uh i thought it was actually about serial <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, I didn't know what a serial killer was yet. I think I was like maybe eight or nine. And, uh, but just, just the tracks, I mean, what more can I say? It just, you know, um, was a de- death row production and just a young Snoop Dogg really at his peak, um, exemplifying, you know, the G-Funk era and what West Coast hip hop is all about. I feel like a lot of other artists got their style from that album and it launched a thousand ships. Um, so that's yeah. my, that's my number 10. That's a really strong choice. Yeah. That's a very, very strong choice. Gin and juice, mm-hmm. uh, ain't no fun with, you know, you got Nate dog right, more right. got corrupt on this record. Dr. Dre, um, George Clinton. Um, you know, the list goes on. This is one of the, what most historic albums for sure i'm kind of now that you're bringing it up i'm kind of mad that i do not have it on my <laughs> i mean it's all those songs with like this the moog synth you know that that's i mean even like you watch like a simpsons or a, a cartoon episode that's trying to like culturally quote the era uh just by putting on like generic gangster rap it sounds like a tupac song you know like yes. that like you know, the gin and juice theme, I think that's something that everybody could recognize, um, whether it was from the original sample or or that song. But, you know, I know when I think of West Coast gangster rap, it's that sound. It's that vibe that he that he distilled onto his album. You know, not a lot of people could do, you know, so many Slick Rick songs and have them be as prolific as Slick Rick did when he did them, you know. Right. Yeah. And Snoop is just iconic in terms of his style. There is nobody like Snoop. And he's definitely one of the pioneers when you talk about West Coast, when you talk about rap, you know, generally, but is Snoop Dogg the coolest person ever? I kind of feel like he's in the contention of like, when you're talking about the definition of someone who's just cool, like, I've just seen him used in so many movies when they're like trying to show that like the party is cool. They'll just like put Snoop Dogg in as like visual shorthand, you know, like, oh, it's this is a big deal. Weren't him and Martha Stewart like best friends? I think they are. They have a cooking show together. Is that right? They have a cooking show? I gotta watch. Yeah, they do. Because she's all big on the weed now. So. um, Oh, I bet. 
<laughs> yeah. Doing it. yeah, and I mean, Snoop Dogg was smoking blunts on TV before anyone, you know? Like, when it was still illegal, it was almost like, oh, Snoop Dogg's getting high. Like, that's our Snoop, you know? Like, right. No one yeah. was writing to the, that I know is writing to the station complaining. It was just like, it's Snoop Dogg, you know? Like, what do you expect? Right. right. And again, I think he must have been... Gosh, I want to say, I want to say that he was somewhere around like, you know, early, early 20s, maybe when he made that album. Yeah, probably, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, that would not shock me at all. Yeah, like 1920, probably some, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just incredible. And along with, I mean, you know, Nate Dogg is just one of my favorite, just kind of brings everything together on every single thing he's on. You know how, how big of a corrupt fan uh, I am. Oh, well. And I could have had corrupt some corrupt stuff on this list too. I right. don't, but, but, you know, to have all of those people on an album, um, you know, it's just, it's definitely a masterpiece for sure. That was a strong pick. That was an absolutely strong pick. Tell me what you think of uh, of this one. This is what I got at number nine. Okay. I, I got Genia the Lamp. Oh, nice. Actray. Bay Area, baby. Yeah. And the reason why I like this album is because, and, and you know, I, I think that, you know, you, you could say, again, this is going to be one of those where someone's going to say, okay, Mac Dre had, you know, he had what, like 20 albums or something yeah. like that. Maybe they're gonna say that you know this is not his his best album. I think from top to bottom it is. When you start at you know the intro Genie of the Lamp song, she never seen. Oh, you know it's got early rims. Re- oh, everything. <laughs> not uh, my job. <laughs> not my job. Hotel motel. Make you mine. You know two times in pass. Everything. Uh, I even like the that last bonus track at the end. Mm-hmm. To me. This album is stacked. It's got smooth rhythms all the way through. Obviously, it's got the playful rhymes like only Mac Dre can can do, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I had to have a Mac Dre one in there because obviously the the impact of the hyphy movement around the area that we live in, you know, everyone kind of got a taste of that, right? And right. he was... And he was kind of the main person that that brought that into the spotlight. And I will say, I will say, Ronald Dragon was very close mm-hmm. on this list. It's got "Feeling Myself." That's the one that's got "Since '84," uh, "Get Stupid." Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is a really Dragonomics. Right. Uh, you know, that's really really strong album. Also, along with a bunch of others by Mac Dre. But for me. Um, if I if I'm gonna listen to one all the way through, and you know if someone doesn't know Mac Mac Dre quite as well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them Genie of the Lamp just as an introduction mm-hmm. to the rest of the rest of his stuff, and I feel like that would get that person to to say okay, you know this this person is is legit. I think I had Genie of the Lamp the song as my as like my alarm, my CD alarm clock wake up song, like my senior year of high school. And I would wake up to that song. It, it's, 
I feel like, you know, uh, Mac Dre, he didn't make it on my top 10, but I totally, you know, I have no problem with him being on yours and being on any list. Um, he was such an amazing talent, um, which is such an understatement even to say, but I think personally for me, like, um, I almost wish I want to like divorce him and his body of work from a lot of the experiences I had later in life during the hyphy, like the late days of the hyphy music or movement, especially mm-hmm. like in Marin with like, you know, so many white boys and tall tees. <laughs> And that like got attached emotionally for me to a lot of uh, what was essentially just really good hip hop. Um, but you know, every time I listen to his stuff, listen to his wordplay, I think he's got some of the best uh, production on his albums. His beats are just—I mean, they launched the the movement. You know, those beats are so unique and so. It, you know, it was, it was like he took the G-Funk and then he brought it to the Bay and carried on with, with that tradition, you know? Yeah, I think it's funny that you kind of mentioned the sort of, like, cringeworthy culture that you, you know, that you attach to to that time. Because that's sort of how I feel about Eminem. Okay, yeah. Now, right. the kind of, like, the bleached hair with the with the white tees mm-hmm. and the, you know, slim shadies everywhere. Totally. Everyone's got... Like that's 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 what I associate with him before his his work a lot of the time, and that kind of is what turned me off originally to Eminem. And I wish, like you with Mac Dre, that it was easier to look past that. But it was just my first, you know, it was my my first instinct at the time was just to kind of go, uh, right, right. Yeah, no, I feel you. A lot of people were able to, to, you know, embrace his music a lot more because they dug that style. Well, it was, it's funny that you bring that up. I was having a conversation with my brother last night about Eminem because we were watching this, uh, stand up. I don't know if you've ever heard of Chris D'Elia, but he, uh, Last year, he released this video where he did like the, he was in his car and he like basically did an impression of what Eminem sounds like while he raps. If you yeah. haven't seen it, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Like we watched it again last night and we were just dying laughing. But uh, but Eminem liked it so much that he ended up putting this comic in his music video and like doing an impersonation of the comic doing him. Yeah. Uh, in, in, he released this video with logic and it's like two of the like hardest, uh, like verses I've ever seen any, any rappers do. And they're both, you know, white guys, but they're both throwing it down so hard. And in the middle of his verse, Eminem quotes this stand up comic making fun of him, but weaves it in so like flawlessly. He's basically saying like, yeah, I do sound like this, but this is actually how sick I am sounding like you, your distillation of me sounding silly, you know? Right, and it's, right. it's like the hardest part of the song. And I think with Eminem, like, you know, I came up totally of, you know, the MTV TRL generation. I remember the first time I heard, you know, my name is on the TRL countdown and it was my favorite music video and I love that song. I bought the Slim Shady LP um, 
And I did experience that kind of cringy moment a little later. But during our conversation, we were talking about, you know, if you go back and listen to like his first album, I forget the name of it, but um, he sounds a lot more like Big L. And you can really mm. like see that like homage in his rhyme style and the and the choices of his songs. He sounds a lot more like Big L. And I think that when he decided to like go mainstream, this is just like totally our take, you know, the Owen brothers take, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But uh, what he <laughs> identified was like, all right, if I go, you know, and become this big white rapper, I'm always going to be going up against the fact that I'm this white guy that, you know, I'm not going to be able to like beat the, the, you know, the black hood persona. And it's going to be, I'm going to be another vanilla ice if I try to. And so you see him kind of adopt this persona. That's like the white, you know, ghetto trailer trash, you know, weird, just like super fucked up, uh, you know, a character that is exemplifying a lot of the like really poor white experience. And I think because of that, uh, you know, his, his music didn't quite, as cringy as the is the image of him with the bleached hair and all that was you couldn't really attack the uh like the validity of that background because it wasn't like he was trying to put on another culture's uh you know wear another culture's cloak he was still making hip-hop but he was doing it you know the, the stories he was telling were stories from his his own experience in his own community and you know you pair that with dr dre as a producer and you see what happens um, and it's, it's been interesting to watch how his personality has evolved as the culture has evolved around like, you know, embracing more, uh, you know, rappers from different ethnic backgrounds. It's not as much of a, of a thing I think as it used to be. Um, and just to see how today he's thought of as like one of the greats by a lot of people. Um, you know, I would say diver deservedly so, even though I, I don't really listen to a lot of his music very often. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting take, and it reminds me of that. And maybe this is this is kind of what 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 kind of gave you that idea was that scene, that last scene in in Eight Mile, right, where he's basically calling out everything that the battle rapper he's competing against could possibly say against him right. the classic cliches you know you're you know you're white you're this you're that um and he just calls it out you know he preempts everything that 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 his competitor is going to say so that that competitor has nothing to say right, right? Yeah. like look i'm going to call it all out this is everything that i am and i'm going to say it you know loud and proud because i have to be I got I got to be whatever whatever this is, right? The straw man is the other guys argue it's pretty much. Yeah, so I hadn't seen it in that if I had seen it in that way initially, mm -hmm. um then I really would have gotten into a lot uh, to his music a lot more early on, but I didn't. Yeah, I d just didn't I, I didn't that didn't I didn't catch on to that. Yeah, but I, I, no, I, nor probably, did I, I don't think I did either, you know, initially at the time. I, I know that I've gone back and like tried to listen to some of the Slim Shady LP stuff. And what really attracts me to it is more like the production side, like the beats are just 
really cool. Um, but you're right. I mean, he was also a product of the materialism and the commercialization of the millennium. And that's where, like, I think a lot of that, like, bleach blonde, you know, diamond stud, you know, earrings look that it is kind of cringy, you know, because that, you know, we were kind of experiencing this peak of like hip hop becoming pop music in a lot of ways. Right. And that goes to another point, which is that another reason why folks today might not see things that we enjoyed back, you know, in our youth uh, a bit more is because a lot of it is pretty problematic now. Right. right. There's, you know, Eminem with a lot of homophobia, mm -hmm. uh, two, a lot of Tupac stuff, a lot of different, you know, misogyny or kind of glorifying violence or, um, you know, it's just a, there's, you know, this whole kind of sphere um, back then that was really, you know, frankly, just in Mac Dre. Right. <laughs> is that? that same way, extremely problematic. Yeah. Um, and so it's hard to grapple with that today and look back and, and, and not cringe a little bit. Right. But I, I, I do have to say, the, you know, they are a product of their environment. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these guys died very, very young. And I do believe that like Eminem, who has gotten a lot more socially conscious, as the years have gone along, I think Tupac would have done the same thing. Oh, and yeah. instead of just looking at the African-American experience, especially the young black black male specific experience, he would have intersected it with the experiences of women. And he would have intersected it with, you know, the, the you know, class, the, the lower class as a whole. Uh, and he would have made those more of those connections and would have spoken to those and told those stories a little bit more, I think. Uh, and I think that's true for for a lot of those those guys that that died early, you know, even like a Jay Z, right. uh, you know, that they, they get a lot they get more reflective mm -hmm. later in their careers. Well, and knowing uh, Pac, like we would have seen that transformation as well, because you know I think if you can say one thing about him as an artist, like he really wore his emotions on his sleeve. And, and I believe that it would have been a really explicit transition and transformation. Like, I feel like he would have been writing, you know, about these thoughts changing at, you know, almost in real time. If you track, you know, this is just my, you know, me extrapolating on his career. But I think that had he kept producing music and been alive throughout all these changes, especially over the last like half decade, you probably would have seen that reflected in the songs that he was writing. Because mm -hmm. how could he not? You know? Right, absolutely. But in, in those days, it, it was like there, there was such a premium on having street cred, right? right? Yeah. It was, you know, people wouldn't buy your album if they didn't think that you were credible with the lyrics that you were saying. And that meant, well, did he go to jail? You know, can mm -hmm. he actually say these things did he go to jail did he get did he get shot you know has he been shot has right. he shot someone else is he actually uh, from the hood <laughs> is he from the hood has he been a drug dealer right 
And so what it does is that, so you have to do these things to get the credentials that you need to be, you know, a star in, 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 in hip hop. And so it's, it's commodifying this image that is detrimental and oppressive. Yeah. Right. Ultimately. Right. Which is, which was the sad reality at the time. And so some people fed into that, fed into that image Mm -hmm. and some people looked past it and tried to move the genre forward, you know, past, you know, the, either the glitz and the glam or the, you know, the drugs, the shooting, you know, jail. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think you could argue that even with Pac, you know, there were those songs where he was kind of lamenting those parts of his life. And, he, you know, he, he didn't leave some of those difficult subjects, you know, as far as I think any artist in his position in the time that he was in, you know, he did show his softer side in some of his, some of his work. And that was kind of what set him apart from a lot of the other gangster rappers was that he did have songs talking about you know the the way the misogyny or the you know maybe hypocritically so because he had other songs that certainly were problematic in that sense but um it's just he's such a multi-faceted guy it's hard to hard to not uh go into it talking about it yeah absolutely um are we is it back on me now i forget did you already say your name yeah Okay. Yeah, mine was nine. I did my nine. Great. So that's actually a perfect segue into my ninth, which um, is a Tupac album. Um, this one easily could have been swapped in higher, almost like all of these albums. Um, and in many ways, it is my favorite Tupac album. But for other reasons, which I will explain, it didn't make it into a higher spot for me. Um, and that's Tupac, Me Against the World. Um it's just a perfect album. I think it's one that both I can put on to like excite me and also to relax me. Um, and, you know, really kind of captures, you know, I think like, uh, maybe a little bit, you know, uh, more like low key vision of Pac, not so much of the glitz and the glamor, but more of like, here's the storyteller, you know, talking about the life and, you know, it's got so many tears, which is like probably in my top five songs of his of all time. I love that song so much. The beat is so good. You know, can you get away? It ain't easy. Old school, dear mama. We've already talked about that. Um, Lord knows there's just so many, um, on here, even the title track me against the world. Um, it just, it's what a catalog. And uh, I, I don't know what, you, what what more I can say about this. I'm sure you could uh, expand, but it's just such a work, a masterpiece as far as hip hop albums go. Yeah, I have this, um, I've, I've got this on my list as well. Got, got it a little bit higher up. Mm-hmm. I love this album. I think that this is, there, there's several different stages of, Pac's career. I think the, the 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 first section is really um, 
telling the story of the streets, telling the story of the ghetto, the story of the, the young black male and, and, and female with things like Brenda's got a baby. Um, and then he gets to this, the second stage where he's, he's in between, you know, it's not quite that all eyes on me phase where it's, you know, just kind of your classic rap, you know, bangers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not kind of in that competitive sort of egocentric zone. And he's got another phase, too, where it's, where it's, where it's much more kind of self, self-reflective. And I think that this album has just kind of like the best aspects of of all the all those phases it really does uh it's got a good feel to it it's easy to listen to um you know the 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 lyrics are dope if i die tonight has some great alliteration i was gonna say that (laughs) one of my my favorite tracks temptations if you're going for a cruise is just a real cool song with the with an awesome hook uh, Lord knows, dear mama. Mm-hmm. Oh, just, just cool. Yeah. I mean, I love that premise, you know. Yeah, and one of my favorite tracks is It Ain't Easy. Right. Just a real mellow, uh, mellow tune that, that I just love. I, I, I love this style of Tupac. Mm-hmm. I think that this is, this, this is really right up his, his alley. Yeah. Really produced too. Yeah, it yeah. really feels like on this album, like is when like Pac really sounds like Pac, if that makes sense. You know, like when I think about like his cadences and just the yeah. overall like Pac sound, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's you know, the, the it's me against the world. Like that's the you know, I know it's not his most famous album, but it is one where you know, I think he's like at his most Pac. Yeah. 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 I completely agree with that. Cool, man. Um, you want to take us to, to number to eight? My, yeah. Let's go to my number eight here. Um, so this is an album, again, I think that, uh, that a lot of people can have much, much higher uh, on their list. But yeah, I think uh, you know this is two of my favorite. And that that was another thing is 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 back in the '90s there used to be a lot more duos, a lot more hip hop groups. Mm-hmm. You know, you your you know you had your Wu Tang, you had your you know Tribe Called Quest, you had um, you know you had your Souls of Mischief, exactly. And I think this is just one of the best duos. And I think this is their best album. And I've got I've got Aquemini by Outcast nice. on my number eight slot. I just think that this album is incredible. And if you're someone who maybe you know likes East Coast East Coast stuff or West Coast stuff, or maybe you know you like some stuff from the Northwest or or like Chicago hip hip hop, whoever, whichever side you're on, or whichever, you know, 
kind of region you you prefer, everyone likes Outcast. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Everyone likes Outcast. Yeah, you could not be a Jay Z fan, or not be a Pac fan, or not be a Biggie fan, or a Kanye fan. Pretty much everyone likes Outcast, and Aquemini is an album that is just stacked yeah. all the way through. Uh, I think that Big Boy is extremely underrated as a rapper. Uh, Andre is, I'd say, easily in my top five mm. rappers. And I think that this is them at their height. Yeah. It's, it's just an amazing album all the way through. I mean, you know, you, you can, like, even the more mellow sort of experimental tracks are great. You've got that Southern feel. You've got funk. Yeah. You've got, you know, horns, all type of types of instruments. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that they really just were able to take their time and make this exactly what they wanted it to be. And I really think that Outkast, you know, just geniuses yeah. at work. Yeah, um, I feel you. I feel like Outkast, you know, you know, we were in high school in the early 2000s. Um, it was a song. I mean, it was an artist that it didn't matter like like I, I you know in high school I was kind of a social butterfly and I had a lot of different cliques and friends and different you know who had different styles and I it was an artist that like no matter which group of people I was hanging out with you go to a party at like a more hipstery vibe or you know the, the jocks or the theater kids like there was going to be outcast played Yes. Um, it didn't matter, you know, what you were into. Everybody had a outcast song that they loved. And yeah. it was one at the dances that everybody would sing along to. I mean, I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. You know, that song comes on. Everybody's singing along to it. And everybody. Uh, yeah. With Aquem and I, you know, um, when I was 12, 13, uh, you know, me and my you know, my mom and my brother, we ended up moving in with my my uh, my mom's boyfriend who became our stepdad. And this was an album that our older brother, Chester, shout out Chester um, up in Seattle, you know, he, this was one of his favorite albums. And for me, like Outkast will always be, make me think of him uh, because he was, you know, he listened to like a very eclectic, mix you know he'd have like a mix with incubus incubus on it and he'd have outcast next you know and, and would not think of anything of it and i think that uh they were such a themselves such an eclectic genre defying group um you know they experimented as much as any hip-hop artist could with bringing in different feelings and vibes and uh you know they're they're definitely one of the greats i don't have them on my uh, top 10, but I will say that Southern Plague, Listed Cadillac, Funky Music was uh, probably 11 or 12 on my top 10 list. That one just barely didn't make it. Um, it's on my short list for sure. Outcast. Yeah, they're great. Man, ooh, that's <laughs> one. What'd you say? Uh, 
Yeah, that's a that's 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 a big one. Actually, you know what? I did think of, think for a second about replacing Equemini. It was definitely on my top. You know, it's it's at eight. Right. So yeah. there's definitely ones in 11 through 15 that were right there and absolutely deserving. But like you said, the the experimentation, the blues, the gospel, the funk. Um, Latin. I mean, just everything. I had to put it in. We yeah. we used to play um, a version of of Rosa Parks, that was uh, that was kind of our coming out music uh, for basketball in high school. Nice. So I always I always have that beat rocking right. in the back back of my mind. Uh, yeah, just just an incredible incredible album. But you left them off. Oh, that's interesting. That's yeah, interesting. you know, I think in the end, what did it for me, and this is why um, Southern Playlistic would have been the album that made it. I'm mm. such uh, like a funk guy, and like I'm really yep. like like the funk and the kind of more soulful styles as far as like you know my own definition of of the soul that I like. But um, some of their beats to me are are a little more experimental. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, one of the things I love about hip hop is I love to dance to it. And I think that what kept them off my top 10, and this is by no means like a knock on them at all, uh, is just that uh, in my listening to hip hop, a lot of the stuff that I would gravitate towards most uh, had a little funkier of a beat, uh, straight kind of backbeat or something like that. And um, that's kind of why, you know, the, their Southern Catalytic player funky music album was a little more in lines with that like traditional funky hip hop vibe. Um, but by no means a knock on them at all. Like I, they're still, you know, one of my favorites by far. And Absolutely. I, I totally, totally uh, can see why they would make on any list. Um, so I'm going to have to bring up my number eight now, um, which is, you know, this guy is, one of the greats you know he's like i'd say he'd probably be like the the uh maybe the like the james worthy of uh of (laughs) hip-hop maybe that's not an apt reference but um i think you could make the argument that as prolific as he is for a lot of people that didn't do their early hip-hop research they might leave this guy off their list um and that's slick rick uh, mm-hmm. the, the art of storytelling for me comes in at eight. I just, he's my favorite storyteller. He's my, you know, his rhyme style and the cadence of his voice. Uh, not a lot of British rappers really do it for me. And he was the fact that he was able to take his accent and weave it into this like saucy character, uh, with the patch on his eye. You know, I can remember the first Slick Rick song I ever heard, which was, off of the album Life in 1472, uh, the, the like rap movie that I still haven't seen. I, I, me and my brother keep wanting to get together and watch it, but he did a song with Jermaine Dupri called Fresh, which me and my brother got the soundtrack to that movie when we were about seven or eight, and we just would listen to Fresh over and over again, wondering like, who is this guy who just drips style and charisma through his voice and um you know he's just he's one of those rappers that kind of came up in the first class and that a lot of the rappers that i when i first came into hip-hop fell in love with you know got a lot of their style from i referenced snoop dogg earlier 
you know, Snoop Dogg is someone that references Slick Rick, you know, pretty continuously throughout his career. Some of the most famous Snoop Dogg songs are actually Slick Rick songs. Lottie Dottie, um, The Vapors. And, you know, for me, the art of storytelling, it's just a perfect album. It's one I can keep coming back to a time and again. Um, and there's just like some of the stories that he weaves. There's this one song. What is it? Um, he's rapping about uh, like ancient Egypt and like being in a king's court, you know. And um, I'm, you know, I'm a huge fantasy fan. So I love anytime you can bring that into a song. And, and for a gangster rapper to talk about it and just the way that he does his characters, you know, call and response with himself on a track. Um, and manages to weave in a sort of, he brings kind of some like effeminate energy at a time when you wouldn't expect that from like the, you know, the, the very masculine heavy genre that hip hop was in the nineties. He will kind of play this prissy character where he's like talking about himself in certain ways and, and yet manages to do so in a way that is like, you know, totally alpha strong character and, I think that dynamic range uh, and flexibility, you know, in, in in how he stylizes himself, just to me is so pleasant to listen to. Yeah, I think that's a really strong choice. I need to go back. It's been a while since I've listened to that album and just to Slick Rick. And there's there's a lot of of guys that were the influences to a lot of the the artists that we're talking about that I, I really need to, to go back and, and, and re, revisit and really relive. And Slick Rick is just the, the style, the swag, which was so important, Yeah, I feel like, in, in, in that, uh, you know, in, in that, uh, in that um, yeah, in that time of, of, of hip hop, the style, if you didn't come with style during that time, you just would not make it. You know, you had to come out with something unique, something different, something that would set you apart. And Slick Rick, yeah, he's he's he's. I'm surprised that I am surprised that he's higher on this list than Doggy Style for you. Right. But but that's still. I, I think that's a very very strong choice. I like that choice. Yeah, I think, you know, it could be like uh, listening fatigue could could play the part. It's just that I've listened to Doggy Style like probably as much as any album. Um, and this one's a little fresher in my ears. But uh, I just love his, I just, for me, Slick Rick has what, what you know, for me, hip hop is like, you know, a quality beat interesting rhythm and lyrics that really make sense. And I think that rhythmically Slick Rick is just a little more punchy than, than Snoop. You know, you could, you could spend eight hours arguing about whose style is uh, fresher and, 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 and still not leave it um, with any sort of coherent resolution. But, you know, just this album, man, he's got features by Nas, Cannabis, there's even one with Outkast on it, you know, Snoop's on this album. Um, and, you know, I actually was privi privileged enough to see Slick Rick uh, this last year when he performed um, on Most Def's show at, uh, at the Greek. And that for me was just like 
you know, just a seminal moment in my life, getting to witness Slick Rick do all these songs. And uh, he's just, yeah, I, th I think just something about his uniqueness to me. He doesn't really sound like anybody else. And uh, that's why he made it, you know, at that point on the list. I like that pick. I like that pick a lot. I think that pick is actually better than than my my number my number seven here. Um, so for my number seven, I've got another duo. Okay. And like two two of definitely my favorite rap hip hop artists of all time. Um, combining to make Black Star. Oh, yeah. Which is, to me, one of, you know, I, I, I think it's probably on most people's top 10, I would say. To me, this was a pretty, pretty, pretty safe choice, although I do like the, the, the Slick Rick. Um, should have had him on here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's two of them so far that I've that I've missed missed out on that you've you've come at me with. Um, That's what's beautiful but, about these lists, man. It's like an opportunity for us to redefine our our faves. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But Black Star, man. I mean, this is just uh, you know one of the most classic rap albums of all time. It's you know both both of these these guys alone have incredible albums, but when you combine the two, uh, it just, you know, the, the, what's the saying that the, you know, together is better than the, the sum of the parts. Synergy. Yeah. I mean, they, they just have it. Songs like Respiration, Thieves, Thieves in the Night, uh, Definition, just some classic, classic, classic songs with a lot of different types of sounds and, and, quintessentially conscious hip-hop these guys are saying something on every single track and one of my favorite songs on there is, is thieves of the night um where they're both and i think most def's verse on this is he's he's the one that that ends the song with his verse and i just think it's one of the best verses of all time he gets into, um, you know, sort of how we were talking about before, how the, how hip hop artists get caught up in portraying this image of, and really only talking about uh, money, fame, right? You know, they're, you know, bitches, right? right? Yeah. Whereas. You, you know, you, you have to get deeper into a into a spiritual level, and artists are basically being held captive by the industry mm -hmm. because of of the commodification of that image. And so, what he's saying is like, look, kind of liberate yourself of that, and you can talk about more important things, more relevant things, and you can be more fulfilled, and you can still succeed. Right. 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 You can still mm -hmm. you can still sell albums. You can still make money. Um, yeah, there's a market but, for conscious storytelling as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll never find what you need. E even at the, at the end of that 
that cycle is e even if you make it, you're still not doing work that is fulfilling to you. Right. Right. You're still empty inside, even though your pockets are full. Mm -hmm. And so you want to have the work reflect, um, you know, what you, what you, what you feel spiritually. Yeah. And, that's, that's, and excellent verse that encapsulates that yeah i i uh i got to see you know it's funny that that this is at your num number seven because like they actually have a slick rick song on their on this album children's story mm. um so it, you know to to further prove my point <laughs> right um, but uh you yeah, know i remember seeing them at in 2007 at rock the bells in san francisco and um, you know, I definitely knew who they were through their recorded music, but to see them live, uh, they were so good. And they were the only hip hop group of the day that dedicated like at least 30% of their set to just freestyling, mm. which was like, to me, you know, that's like what I love. And, you know, just their willingness to make their set completely unique and, and you could really see, uh, the love of the art form on both of their faces. They just, those guys just love to rap. And, um, you know, the, you know, the great like duos and duets out there, you know, you got to have two voices whose timbres really sound well. And yeah. most Def and Talib, you know, most Def's got that real punchy melodic quality to his voice. He likes to sing. He likes to, uh, you know, be kind of rhythmic and staccato sometimes. And then you have Talib, which, you know, his voice almost sounds like mine. It's kind of raspy. It's like a little more uh, like dull as far as like the tone of it, but it's very soothing and it, and it really complements most Def's like musical quality. Yeah. It's interesting how there, there's, there's some parallels between uh, Black Star and Outcast, right? Andre's, you know, sort of went off as this experimental, even more experimental, right. um, you know, solo mm -hmm. act. Mm -hmm. And most Def has kind of become the same way where he's gotten, you know, pretty far out there in, yeah. in terms of, <laughs> of his music, right? And you just wish that they would kind of come back with yeah. <laughs> where you feel like their bread is buttered, right. which is just really good hip hop. Totally. You guys had the formula. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they just had it down. But maybe that was something where they felt like they needed to challenge themselves a bit more. They felt like they're, you know, they're boundary pushers. And so they wanted to kind of work on the, the, the brink, on the frontier of what, you know, they feel is possible within music. And they just want to, you know, keep ever expanding. And I get that, but their rap was so good. I know, you know? I know. Like I, I feel that, but it's you just wish that they had done more, you know, within that zone uh, that they had going so well as good as anybody. Yeah, you know, it's the it's the classic paradox of trying to view an artist as you know as a static object, or you know, it's it. You it's like the, the you know, the, the question that's come up so often in our culture today is like, can you judge the art by the artist? You know, can you hold the art itself responsible for the character and the person that the artist was? 
and that's really goes both ways, um, both in the positive and the negative. It's like we mm. want to we want to keep the artist in what we feel is their sweet spot. But it's you know, I know firsthand from, you know, the artists in my life and my own experience that very often like some of the greatest art is created from a time when the artists themselves are in a state of agony and right. they're making this art as their way of coping with the pain that they're in and the pain that they're feeling. And so sometimes for them, they have to move into, you know, another state to, to transcend out of it. And, and the rare lucky ones are ones that can kind of find that peace and continue to make uh, truly great art. And it's, it's rare, you know, it's why people have their like eras and their, their windows. But, um, but I feel you, man, I, I really think that you know, Andre and Big Boy need to come out with another classic. Uh, yeah. Out, you but know, just bury, you know, bury the hatchet. You know, yeah. get back in the studio and and you know do it for the fans. You know. Yeah. yeah, but I feel you on on that that need to do, you know, musically what you feel like will give it a purpose and and give it meaning, and that's. You know, especially, you know, uh, you know, tra- you know, traditionally, you know, indigenously, that would be the way to go. You wouldn't just make music or art, for that matter, absent of any meeting. Every- everything had a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. It-, it was either, you know, to connect closer with spirit or to communicate with these um, higher powers or to, you know, to make it rain or to, um, to, to bring the community close, closer together or for learning purposes. Like every, like art wasn't just made for art's sake, right? It was, it was made with a purpose in mind Mm -hmm. and also, um, you know, for, you know, even reflecting back on it to, to find, new meanings both both uh individually and collectively as a community right yeah Um, and so you know if that's if that's what most deaf and andre need to do to you know to 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 make work that has meaning to them that they feel like will connect with with other people and has something that folks can use uh, in their lives, then I think that that's a positive thing, but they were just so good at what yeah. they did. You know, I feel you, man. No, that's, we can be uh, selfish fans and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and hope that they're able to, uh, you know, slay whatever demons they have to, to, uh, in their own personal lives to, to give us more of those, of, of what, uh, what moves us. So, and, um, I, I think it is that balance, right. Of pushing, feeling like you're making progress as an artist um, and still, uh, you know, recognizing, you know, that which made you great and that which really connected mm. with people. And, um, you know, that, you know, who knows, who knows what the future holds? I'm optimistic. You know, I feel the same way about, you know, most deaf, you know, and, and I, and I have a lot more to say on him cause he's on my list. Um, but, uh, but I'll, I'm going to save that. And, uh, I think I'm ready to move on to my number seven, which mm-hmm. uh, you might be surprised by. This is, you know, seven being my lucky number. This is a special spot on my list. And um, here's an album that was introduced to me my freshman year of high school um, by my boy Ryan Shaw. Shout out Cyberclops, you know, one of the <laughs> true 
hip hop connoisseurs of our time. And uh, I remember uh, being in, he was in my, uh, in my homeroom in high school. And so he would always be coming up to me with, with whatever, you know, he was the deep, original deep digger, you know, that I knew who like had all these artists that I'd never heard of. And so I just remember one day him giving me this album and uh, it's, I still listen to it um, when I run. It's, it's still like, you know, I've, when I was teaching breakdancing, it was one of the albums that I would bring and, and use because it's a, it's a clean album. They don't swear on it, but it, that doesn't take anything away from it. And that's Ugly Duckling, Journey to Anywhere. Um, I just love these guys so much. Their goofiness, mm. their wordplay. Andy Cap is like just got some of my favorite rhyme schemes. And, uh, and then um, Young Einstein, just as a DJ, uh, his beats are just so fresh and funky. And this album in particular for me was just so unique and so unlike anything else I've heard and yet still uh, encompasses like everything that I love about hip hop. And, you know, just to, to a couple, you know, tracks off here that I, um, that stuck out to me, you know, I did it like this great album or great song intro duckling. Uh, if you want to know, um, Eye on the Gold Chain, uh, Lay It On Ya. There's just, you know, they, they're like the kings. They got all these great punchlines. And again, with the, you know, they have like the classic, as we were talking about duos, um, they have that classic thing that they do, uh, which is a, a good strategy for any hip hop duo, which is to have one MC with a really high voice and one MC with a low voice. And that contrast really works with... Uh, with between the verses and um dizzy dustin's got like a kind of a higher higher tone of his voice whereas andy caps a little lower so um yeah it, this was a little bit rare of a cut i feel like for a lot of people but uh ugly duckling journey to anywhere uh is one of you know long beach's best kept secrets what who is this <laughs> duckling this is completely new new for me okay. dude i'm ugly. so excited you get to experience this for the first time wow wow can you can you say the name of the album one more time for me yeah. just so journey to anywhere journey to to anywhere yeah will, and, and they had, their album their other albums are great they really got into doing like concept albums there's some ones about like food where they do a lot of skits and stuff but for me this one in particular, I think, is at their is them at their best. It came out in two thousand and one, and it's really just it just feels like a traditional hip hop album. They're not really trying to like like say they say a lot, but they're not. It's not so much of of like an encompassing concept. They you know they have like some songs that kind of introduce who they are. That I like the one um, Journey to Anywhere. The title track is is basically uh this kind of um what's the word it's like a whimsical exploration of all these uh like kind of different fantasy turns of phrases themes they quote all these pop culture references talking about a journey to anywhere um mm. and uh they got this song pickup lines which is really cool it's a story about you know a girl in high school that was not you know, impressed by all these guys coming up and trying to hit on her. And it was like kind of providing for young men, like an alternative way to think about like courtship that if you're just trying to get in the pants, like 
you're you're kind of a fool and like that that you know the character the the guy in the story ends up getting the girl because he's just like respectful and wants to just like talk about ideas and connect like um in the non-sexual way and then that ends up being what allows them to connect and by the end of the song so it's just like refreshing to get a story like that and and the beat is dope and the rhymes are dope um and so you know they just uh you know there are a couple dudes uh that that really do it uniquely and i would highly recommend you checking it out Mm. I definitely will. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm really glad it gives me some some new music. I'm in desperate need uh, of new music, so I will definitely check that yeah. out. I guarantee, you, like the first track, you're gonna see why I like it. It's the, the all the samples are just like so funky, and you can tell that like Young Einstein is one of those DJs who's just listened to everything. You know, he's just like knows his craft and knows exactly which you know, where to find his samples. He's definitely like one of those classic vinyl DJs. Right. Scratching on the album that, you know, it's, it's it's, like dilated people's kind of, kind of, but funkier, like, like his Mm. samples are, are more of that, like reminiscent of the older kind of, you know, early nineties, late eighties, funky hip hop beats. You know, he's more like a, I'd say like a, uh, almost like a, like a Pete rock kind of vibe, you know? And, uh, just, just, they really do embody like that traditional two MC with a DJ where like the DJ is considered part of the band. Right. Um, and they reference him constantly in their songs. You know, the song I on the gold chain is, is a song about this huge chain called the dookie that, uh, young (laughs) Einstein wears. And the whole song is just them talking about how fresh and fat his chain is that, you know, the, the uh, the hook is they got the eye on the gold chain and it's just talking about how big and gaudy and flashy his chain is and uh, it's it's just you know it's this is one of those albums that like you'll be feeling the song and laughing because they they bring comedy into their rhymes as well and uh, don't really try to they're not like a hip hop group that's trying to be cool they don't take themselves too seriously which is refreshing. Um, and and thus i found it like really approachable and uh it's one that you could put on in the car with like your grandma i feel like and not have to worry (laughs) i like that i like that good clean a a clean album it's hard to come by it is it is you know and 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 to find a clean album that's like not compromising the craft you know it's not I don't think these guys are like censoring themselves and trying to be clean. It's just more that they don't need to be dirty, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, I respect that. Okay. All right. Some new music. I had a feeling that was going to be the surprise of the list. Yeah, that was, (laughs) yeah, you slid that one in there. I like that. All right. So my number, what are we at? Number six? Is this number six right here? Yeah. N876, my six. My number six is uh, an album from a group that I really, really love. I think that this is an all-star collection uh, of hip-hop artists, all extremely intelligent. It's, you know, it, it, it just oozes West Coast. Some people will say that this is not their best 
album and it's close it's close um but i'm going full circle by hieroglyphics yeah. a lot of people will say third eye vision with you never knew yeah. and uh you know it's got every single one of one of the rappers sort of just featured on on uh different songs after dark it's got mm -hmm. miles to the sun um no i'm with you bro full circle all the way first full circle yeah i mean the yeah. first like you know Dude, classic classic tracks. alone <laughs> i mean you know that that beat uh is one of my favorite beats of all time yeah this is this is pep love at his mm. greatest um tajay who i love he's he's a very unique voice oh, but i embarrass myself so bad in front of tajay <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Did you? It's like one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. We were like in high school. We went to Grammy Career Day at SF State, and uh -huh. uh, Tajay gave a performance. But he did like a hip hop clinic, where mm -hmm. uh, where uh, where uh, different people got to get up and like record freestyles on a track that he that he was like producing, and. You know, me being my, like, you know, Hobie, I just like, you know, it was like a bunch of like kids from like Oakland Tech and all over the East Bay. And I just volunteered to get up on the mic and uh, and I got super nervous and I just threw down like the weakest freestyle. A lot of cat, hat, mat but rhymes, you know, not my best, not coming at my most confident. I, you know, I could flow when I was comfortable, but I definitely got nervous and uh and if that wasn't bad enough, uh, they played through everybody's verses twice. And I just had to sit in the room with like, you know, 30 like kids from the ghetto. Like I'm this white boy from fucking Mill Valley or from the Marin. And it was just like the most like you're hella whack fool. You know? <laughs> like no one said it, but I could feel it. Uh, you know, and, and Ryan Shaw, I think, was in the room with me, too. And he was just kind of shaking his head. And uh, yeah, that one stung because I was a huge Hyro fan. And um, but you know, it's part of the life. I put myself out there, and I actually I got to meet um, DJ Torre last year. Um, I was maybe gonna do like a music video for him, and I got to go to his studio and kick it with him. He showed me a couple of his beats he was working on, and oh. uh, it was like you know a very surreal experience getting to. Uh, it, the weird thing was he was nervous, which was kind of. Like he, he was hella like stony and I, I was coming in. He was like, I got to see like this accomplished artist. He kind of didn't really know like visually what he wanted to do for his music. And there was like definitely a little bit of shyness there cause we'd never met before. And, uh, and so it was just, I was looking at one of my idols and, you know, I have a pretty like developed social front end cause I've been in a lot of uh circumstances where i've made a fool of myself so uh <laughs> but it was just really cool like getting a chance just i i had to pinch myself and be like i'm sitting in dj teray's studio and he's showing me like unreleased beats and uh and i gave him some of my homegrown and he's smoking my weed and it was just like it was a really cool experience but sorry i cut you off let's get back to your uh That's the life right there yeah. Wait, did, did, before you move on did tajay give like any sort of reaction did he see any sort of no i think he was pretty like he was pretty cool like he didn't really uh 
he didn't really react to my verse because there was other people on there that were like also bad you know yeah and and maybe like taken out of my perspective it wasn't as bad as it sounded but it was pretty bad and <clears throat> i think that uh it was more like the silence was bad enough you know <laughs> just hearing you, hearing you yourself you know by any chance what'd you say you have a copy of it by any chance oh, they thankfully like not i think it, it thankfully probably got deleted or it's you know I, I never listened to it again after that day. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was. It, it sounds was, traumatizing. Yeah, it was traumatizing for sure. I think that morning, uh, me and a friend who I will not name, we uh, we had snuck a bottle of vodka onto the bus, and so we were taking shots earlier in the day, and uh, <laughs> that could have contributed to my misplaced courage and lack of of uh, you know verbal depth. But, uh, but yeah, it, uh, wasn't my finest moment and I've definitely had, you know, much better, you know, freestyle moments than that. <laughs> it makes for a better story that it was a bad performance. Totally. totally. <laughs> that you just bombed it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think bombed. that definitely makes a better story than yeah. if it was just like, you know, a good or like, you know, a solid performance. Yeah. I was like, you know, it's pretty good actually. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that you, that uh, you felt like you bombed it actually right. makes it. Well, I could also just see, like, like, I think the worst part was I could see, like, all these, like, kids from these, from, like, East Oakland schools that were just, like, oh, white boys getting up. And then I, like, so clearly filled the stereotype with my flow that I was just, like, man, I know I can rap, but I totally just, like, added to the weight of these guys' own, like, preconception that I'm going to suck, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just... Oh, Damn man. it! <laughs> Fell right into the trap. Totally, totally. Uh, well, I'm glad that got. I'm glad, I'm glad that got that story. It was worth. It's worth putting this album on for that story. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I will say that full circle, it, uh, hieroglyphics didn't make my list, but this was another one that's like in the like 11 to 15 range. I have them on my list um, that I had to cut down. And that, you know, I can't say enough about the album too. I mean, Shift Shape, Powers That Be, mm. uh, what else? Classic, we just already talked about. Classic, yeah, Make Your Move with Guapale. Yeah, dude, Seven Sixes. I think you showed me oh. that song my first time. Yeah, Let It Roll. Yeah, just, uh, yeah. It just, yeah. I mean, you know. There's really, really, really good songs on there. And just a great group of artists i mean dell yeah. obviously is fantastic he's great in his own right mm -hmm. uh all the souls of mischief mischief folks mm -hmm. uh pep love casual all yeah. of them really 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 I got a casual back. story for you too i have i've met like a number of these guys but uh what's the, the first, casual story the first show i ever played uh, as a musician was with our group uh the optimistics our little Marin hip hop group with Soul Doc as our MC, and at the time it was the the band was called Me Gone. It was like Jeremy Gray, shout out Red Lion, Justin Macri on bass, and uh, and I went to 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 a rehearsal out in Lagunitas with, you know, Jeremy our our boy Soul Doc on the on the mic, and we had a good rehearsal, and I was like, you know, probably in my. I hadn't been playing keys that long, especially seriously. And 
<clears throat> they asked me to join the band and I was like, all right, like, yeah, let's play some music. We're doing instrumental, you know, live hip hop vibe. And they're like, great. We have a gig in a month and we're opening for casual from Hyro, right. 19th Broadway, Fairfax. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I remember <laughs> that set. I was like so nervous. I was so stressed. My arms were so tight. I felt like paralyzed. I was playing on borrowed keyboards, but I got through it and it was fun. And, you know, we got a good good response from the crowd and um you know i can honestly say that like my first real show at a venue ever was opening for casual and he killed it he was amazing wow so did he get did you guys get to i know there was so this was at 19 broadway yeah so what did you guys get to go and be up in that i know there's like a the room. green room yeah yeah, yeah. we got did to kick it with him it with for i mean he kind of was doing his own thing but like went up and shook his hand, you know, and, and said hi. And, uh, we, we ended up doing another show like a month later opening for KRS one, which was huge for me. What? And, and and I actually got to go meet him and, uh, and then he led like a cipher, uh, and, uh, and it was really funny because KRS one, um, led a led the cypher and all of a sudden it was like you know marin's finest everybody getting on stage trying to like be in a cypher with krs1 and he just like cut immediately but it was like but nobody realized it you know <laughs> but i can say that i've been in a cypher with krs1 and didn't embarrass myself so <laughs> all right well geez see you you completely made up for the tajay <laughs> with the cipher with KRS one right. all within, you know, geez, you all know, within... name, you got to do some name <laughs> drops here and there. <laughs> yeah. And you know, yeah. it, it, just the last thing I'll say about these guys is, um, you know, last year I was, uh, I was working in the cannabis, the legal cannabis industry. And, um, I ended up working, you know, the, one of the cool things about the Bay area cannabis, um, legal cannabis industry is that there's these, this thing called the equity program, which when it le- was legalized, uh, some, some community leaders realized like, Hey, we have, a, we're about to have a huge wealth transfer here and we don't want, uh, you know, here's an opportunity to, uh, you know, empower and enrich, uh, people from historically disadvantaged backgrounds. And so these programs in SF and Oakland were created that, uh, they gave people from from disadvantaged backgrounds opportunities, um, like subsidized licenses, because the licenses cost around a hundred grand, and you know most people can't afford that. So, you know, one of my favorite things about the job was getting to go. Yeah, there was like techies that you'd go work with who would start their startups, but then there was a number of people that were just like straight from the community who were part of these equity programs, and one of them was this woman, uh, Abini, who's like was like the sweetest uh lady they had a spot over in east oakland and i I worked with her a bunch shout out skunk works uh and they were you know a great legal cannabis company they did a lot of work with us but after a couple months of working with her i found out that she's tajay's ex-wife and i was like oh what like we got definitely bonded uh, over the music and she you know she uh she had her her stories about you know being in that scene and all that so a lot of people don't know that Tajay is like a Stanford and Berkeley graduate. Yeah. 
and I think now he's he's doing he's like an architectural designer now. Like, yeah, he's 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 got the range. Right, he's the man. I mean, all those guys you can just hear it in in their rhymes. They're they're there. There's a level of intellect with with that crew that is. Uh, they may talk a certain way. They have those affectations on their voice, but you listen to the words and you're like, these dude, dudes like came up drinking coffee at People's Park in Berkeley. Like they Absolutely. are totally products yeah. of that scene, you know? Absolutely. That's and... a good way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and I, that's what I, I love about this group in general is, is they, they really are like a Bay Area hip hop group. And, uh, and this album, great choice, man. I like... I totally, uh, it only missed my 10 by the narrowest of margins. Mm, yeah, it's a good, it's an extremely good album. For people out there that have not heard that album, uh, it's just extremely enjoyable all the way through. You're going to find songs on there that you like, I guarantee it. Yeah, you know, the last thing I'll say about this album, every time I listen to it, it uh, transports me back to writing shotgun in my my stepdad's subaru outback driving down arroyo road trying to wake up for high school because we had this with this cd in the car and just driving down arroyo uh you know that that's kind of the soundtrack of the street for me is uh is the full circle <laughs> cool well this takes me to my number six and this is probably going to have some level of controversy uh, just at its placement at number six. This easily could be the number one album on the list. And it wouldn't take a lot uh, to convince me of that. And I'm, I'm almost sure that it's higher up on your list. So uh, therein lies the controversy. And that is uh, Dr. Dre 2001. Um, which we talked about a little bit as we were getting ready for this podcast. Um, I mean, people that didn't weren't like into hip hop or or like necessarily too young to remember what that album was when it came out. Um, 2001 was like music for a while. It just was the the album. Um, it was huge. It 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 just destroyed everything. And especially for me, I think I was in sixth grade, maybe seventh grade when it came out. Uh, yeah, it just, I, I, I think it took me a while. Like I didn't even consider myself like really a huge hip hop fan back then, but I listened to that album so many times and it, it just was music. I didn't think of it as being of a genre. It just was like the album that everyone was listening to. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, we talked about in getting ready for this, you know, I think a lot of people, maybe even a little older than me would, would, would say uh, that the chronic was the better album or maybe the more prolific hip hop album. Um, and they would have a great argument there. Um, but as I said, in the beginning of this, you know, I had to choose 10 that were, the most significant for me and I was still too young to remember you know when when the chronic dropped and I didn't really get into listening to the chronic till high school and 2001 I got to like experience in real time and 
it would it was just uh just a mammoth of an album it just i don't know what 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 can you expand on this brandon i feel like it was just a it's a monster yeah this is it's perfect because that's actually my my next on the on the list so we might as well buddy up yeah on this but yeah i mean this this you know chronic was great i think that uh you know, some people would have an argument that, that that album is better. I would just say there's no way that this album is just so good. This album was an absolute, I mean, both were absolute phenomenons, but this is, you know what it felt like? It felt like, you know, George Lucas when he was like, I need to wait for the technology to catch up to what I want to put on the screen, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and so it takes him these huge swaths of time and he's and he's you know he's the master of his craft and he's he likes to get so intimate and detailed with these songs but you could tell that it you know the the technology was there also for him to do what he wanted to do in terms of the the sounds right some of these songs are just i mean the, the production here is ridiculous when you talk about uh, still Dre when you talk about explosive. It may be the... the biggest sounding hip hop album I've ever heard. Like it just sounds huge. Like I feel like, I mean, they even open with the THX intro in the beginning. Right. And right. to me like that, it's ingenious because it's a cinematic rap album. Like I feel like you could, like if they played this album at a cinema, I'd go sit and and listen to it. Like that would be the place to go hear this, you know, is in a theater. The first time you heard Still Dre, <laughs> it's just, I mean, when that beat drops, oh, man. it's incredible. Right. It's absolutely incredible. It's, and Snoop Dogg is, mm. is killing it. Devin the Dude. Oh. I really believe that this is, this is where I started liking Eminem. Right. Is, uh, is on Chronic 2001 yeah. uh, with God About Dre. I mean, the, you know, it's got hit, the, kind of the introduction of uh, of Hitman. I mean, one yeah. of one of the one biggest, is... uh, you know, I think if we were to do a, a a Mount Rushmore or top ten features of all time, that forgot about Dre feature has got to be on there somewhere. I mean, you know, to come into oh. the do the you know what was essentially the 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 radio hit off the album um, right and that and and that you know he he got in and said every you know you know just seamlessly fit into it and and elevated the song you know right yep yeah i mean it's just all of these let's what, get high what about you know next episode man i mean next episode oh that, you know, you you can remember like every dance. I think every middle school and high school dance. Mm-hmm. This is something that's totally particular to our generation, but just that feeling of the end of that song and everybody in the room trying to predict when the smoke weed every day is gonna come in, and nobody getting yeah. it right. You know, exactly. Like that, that was like a cultural moment for all of us. It's like the hey yeah yeah yeah, and then every. You know, you're in this dance room that was so loud and packed and the room goes completely silent and everybody's waiting and trying to come in again with the smoke weed every day. Like that's yeah, just, yeah. 
was part of growing up during that time, you know? Yeah, I still, to this day, I've heard that song a million times. I still can't hit that um, (laughs) proper note. You know, I just cannot hit it right. It tricks me every single time. I swear it changes every time. Right, right. Yeah, it's on purpose. You know, I don't know if you remember, Brandon, but um, yours and my first interaction ever actually relates to this album. Um, and, And this was like going way back, but... I think I was in sixth grade, which would have meant you were in seventh grade. And we were at one of these dances and the album had not been released yet. Mm. And the DJ had like a dance contest. And I was like, I'd like to go to these dances when I was like in sixth grade and like pretend I could break dance. And I, I totally couldn't, but I like would fake it and like spin on the floor and like do all of my made up moves. And it's, I don't know what how I did this, but I ended up winning the dance contest, and the DJ gave me. You're a, modest. You're not. You're not a bad breakdancer. <laughs> well, I got some formal training later on in life, but back then I was just a goofy sixth grader with spiked hair. But anyways, the DJ he gives me as the prize um, a cassette single off the album that had like, I think it had "Forgot About Dre" and maybe one other track, and. Really? As soon as he hands it to me, I feel like a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and uh, and I, it's a seventh grade Brandon Johnson and who's like trying to use all his seventh grade swag to like, you know, friendly, not so friendly, persuade me to give him the cassette. Oh, is that right? <laughs> and, and I remember like I was like intimidated and I was like, you know, I knew that you probably were like a much bigger fan than me. It would like get more out of the album. But I also was like, fuck that. Like I won, you know, and I ended up pocketing the, the tape. And uh, and it, that just always stands out to me when I think about that album that I just remember that you were like totally you were trying like kind of pretending you were my friend, you know, trying to talk me into hooking. Oh, come shit. on. Like you could just let me have it. Right. <laughs> Oh my God! What a jerk that young. Boy. Understandable though, I was a punk sixth grader. You know, you you made a fair assessment. I totally, you probably would have gotten a lot more out of it than I did. Yeah. Hey, but that album, you got to you had to do what you could to get your hands on it. You right. know what I mean? Those yeah. were <laughs> totally. whatever it took. They whatever it took, man. Yeah. No, I I I fully uh, understand. You know the motivation because it was. You know, and this was even like a couple months before it released, you know, so it was, it was definitely, and, and a lot of people these days don't really understand like just how hard it was to get a hold of things back then, you know, right. you know, you, even like if you were that age, let's say you're 12, 13, you can't go online and get the album. You can't even go to the store and get the album because they had parental advisory stickers on it and they wouldn't sell right. it to you. So you know, luckily for me, my mom never censored me and my brother's music and she would usually buy us whatever, you know, I mean, if we could afford it, you know, if we, if we saved the money, she would be willing to get us the album. But, um, it, uh, it wasn't so easy as just clicking on Spotify or finding it on YouTube. It was really hard to, to find that stuff. And, uh, you know, hence the value of it was, you know, so increased. Absolutely. Yeah, I spent, you, you can't imagine how many seventh grade, eighth grade hours 
I spent listening to that album. I mean, every day. Couldn't get enough of it. The album was just that good. There was just nothing like it out there. Everyone was anticipating it. It was the greatest producer out there who had taken, you know, since when did Chronic come out? Early early 90s. I think. Yeah, so people had waited years for Dre to come out with something. And so there's the anticipation of that. Eminem is coming off of his success, right? And, you know, he's getting ready to to explode on on this album. You got Snoop Dogg coming back corrupt. Uh, You know, I'm... Nate Dogg. And it, I mean, the album delivered it delivered 100 (laughs) percent. whatever you thought it was going to be it was that and then some i mean it just dropped everyone's jaw right at that time it's just a fantastic album for better or worse you know and this will probably say something about our generation but like this album i think i got more sex education out of this album than any class could teach yeah. me uh which <laughs> may be saying something about you know toxic masculinity and like the the problematic nature of of you know so many of these issues that are brought up today a lot of us got our you know got that kind of sexual education and sexuality via hip-hop albums i know i did and it it took a lot of years of like coming to grips with with the fallacy of a lot of what was being uh advocated for by these by these artists and i know that this album in particular is like super explicit and right i mean there's one song called pause for porno that's just two people fucking and pretty much all the track is it's just you know moaning and uh and an orgasm and um And uh, what's it called? Fuck you. I just want to fuck. Yeah, right. And that song is like the dirtiest, nastiest, you know, song lyrically that you've ever heard. Totally. And so, like, a lot of these are sort of reminds me of, you know, like what, what we know now about football, for instance, where there's all these sorts of concussions now. And, well, not now, there always has been, but now we definitely you know, now, now we know. And it's like, so I wouldn't have, I I probably wouldn't have my kid play football knowing what I know now. Right. right. And and it's sort of the same thing with some of these albums. Like I would hesitate to let my kid, I probably wouldn't let my kid listen to some of these albums knowing what I know now. Maybe not the one you want to put in your 10 year old stocking, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's some, some of these albums where I'm like, ah, oh, man, you know, is this kind of hitting them with some socialization that is not, is not helpful. But, you know, I mean, these are just, there's so many elements to being a, a quality album, and there's always the, the style of, of some of these rappers. There's always the production, and you know, even if the lyrics are you know, super problematic at, at, uh, at times. There's still a lot to appreciate about this album. Without a doubt. Uh, from just from a musical standpoint. Hey man, if you, if you only spoke Korean, 
and you heard this album, it'd still be in your top 10, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's that good, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like, uh, for me experiencing this album during the, the first couple years, it felt like I was like kind of peeking in on at a room of adults, you know, I was like a kid at the door looking through a crack, uh, right. witnessing a world that was definitely more mature than I was. And there was something that was so like, like naughty and wrong about that, but so enticing. That was part of the yeah. And, uh, and, and that was, you know, part of the reason why it had such a large emotional effect was it was like, I knew that I shouldn't be listening to it. I knew that it was like, this was like a total adult album, but not only was it, uh, you know, fucking incredible musically, but it was also, you know, like I said, culturally, it was huge. You know, it, it, it came in and, and just dropped, you know, a, an atomic bomb on, on the music landscape and, and would for, you know, would continue to hold rain for, you know, probably the better part of a decade. Yeah, and I think that there's some level, at least for me, of because we we come from that era of the East Coast West Coast Coast rivalry. There's some level of pride that I had when that album came out mm -hmm. because just laying it down so hard and representing the West. So even though there's, there's guys, there's Midwest guys like Eminem and there's exhibit that, that, that make their cameos. Yeah. Um, you know, this is really got that Dr. Dre, uh, you know, Compton, totally. uh, LA West coast feel. Mm -hmm. And just really, I, I think just for me gave, gave a really firm a sense of, of pride in west coast rap and hip-hop uh, you know as a whole right and it really i think that it really it, i fully agree with what you say and i think that it really redefined and furthered what hip west coast hip-hop music was like it would be one thing if they just made another g-funk album right but, but this album isn't a g-funk album it's like bringing it forward to the new millennium you know, even the name, it came out in 99, but he named it 2001. And it really does have that feeling of like, all right, like we're bringing West Coast music to a new level. And, and there are some East Coast elements in these beats, you know, like he definitely pays homage. And, and even though it is, these are still most certainly Dre beats, uh, it does have the, a little more of like an all-inclusive feeling than uh than the last album did you know and um i feel you on the pride you know it's it is one of those things that i've heard these songs when i'm on in another another country and it immediately like you know brings me home and makes me feel like you know yeah this is our anthem you know these are anthems these are more than songs i think this album is an album of anthems these are, yeah. And what what I like is, you know, you there's a lot of songs where you don't hear a lot of Dre or any at all in, in the songs. But the songs that you do, like, for instance, The Watcher, um, I, I think are pretty good. I, I, I like him. The Watcher. <laughs> you know, really coming out and 
you know, he, you can tell that he feels the need to defend uh, because he's, you know, he, he's made his millions now billions. Right. And, you know, he's, he's sort of got a, got a defend, you know, he's, he's like, I've, I've, I've been through the process. I've been there as a gangster and now I'm a businessman. Right. You know, I've still, you know, I, I, you know, you still shouldn't mess with me, you know, because <laughs> it'll happen if you mess with me, yeah. but I'm past that. And I'm trying to get, get on with my, with, with, with another stage of where I am as a musician, a businessman and, you know, take, take that step forward. And, you, you can tell he's he's sort of on on the defense about that and about why why it takes him so long to to come out with these albums. Well, he's pushing out a lot of uh, you know he's producing for a lot of other people, right? And right. He's making other people famous mm -hmm. during that time, right? And you know, so I have a lot of uh, you know I got a lot of respect for Dre and how he's gone about his business really quietly, and he's 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 made a lot of people. He stepped, he, he's, he's brought a lot of people from just their talent and he's risen them up to, to stardom. And, you know, he's not that person that's, that's on every beat, like, oh, this is Dr. Dre's beat. <laughs> you know? You're right uh, it, about that too. I think that one of the things that's always struck me about this album is this is Dr. Dre's album, but, but he's almost leading from, from the back. You know, like he's yeah. on these tracks, he's on a few of them. I mean, but a lot of times his feature is getting the limelight and he's really like putting his, the cameos in, in the spotlight on a lot of these songs and the songs that he does come on, on, there is a little bit of that defensiveness of saying like, look, you guys are fools. Look at what I've done with my career. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? And like, yeah, I'm successful, but like, that's what I should be. <laughs> I'm great, you know? And, uh, and I think that, um, yeah, that he, you know, it, it's just, it's just interesting to see an album that is a, you know, a Dr. Dre album, but it really feels like it's a group almost. It's, it's almost like a, like reminiscent of like that album, The Firm, you know? Yes. Which, I, oh man, that album I love as, as well. Yeah. Yeah, I wish that group had stayed together because they had some promise to do some extremely special things. I, I liked it; just had no no commercial success. It just flopped, right? Somehow, but some of those songs are so good with Nas, with uh, with A Z, Nature, Foxy Brown. Uh, I think Cannabis was even on a song or two on that album obviously produced by Dre. Was it Corrupt was... on that? I forget if Corrupt had what any... What was the one song that had, like, the violins that you always used to like to play? I think you're talking about uh, Executive Decision. And I think that was AZ. I think you're thinking of AZ. Okay. Not, not as an AZ on that one. Real good song. Yeah. Real good track. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh... Seeing it, it's pretty. It's pretty cool that we that it found uh, its way onto both of our lists. You know, pretty close in in the uh, in the lineup, and so maybe a little less controversy than I might have expected. Um, but yeah, that, but well, from us. 
<laughs> right, exactly. No, I mean, I'm sure I'll get... I think a lot of people would, would say, yeah. man, that, I think you're right. You, from what you said up top, on top is that yeah. this could, this could, and deservedly so. Totally, totally. Could be anybody's number one. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah. And You'll get no would... argument from me if you put this at the top of your list. And uh, it, it, for all the reasons we just underlined, like this, this is a perfect album and, uh, you know, should be in anybody's top 10. Absolutely. So that brings me to my number five, um, which is not an album that did as commercially well as Dr. Dre 2001 and, um, and may not make a lot of people's, but for me, it's been one that, it's just never gets old and the listenability has never decreased. I've heard it a thousand times and I keep coming back to it because it's just such a unique hip hop album. It's one of my favorite MCs um, and one of my favorite producers and that's MF Doom, Operation Doomsday. <laughs> um, this album is just another one of those albums. Uh, for me, I think for this top 10 list, like a big thing um, is I'm really looking for those albums where there isn't a weak song where every yeah. song, you don't really find yourself skipping any of the tracks. There's certain albums where you have your, your go-tos where you're like, all right, I'm going to three, five and nine are my songs. And there's some ones in between. Maybe I listen to them if I can't reach the, you know, the remote, but this, this album, Operation Doomsday, um, start to finish, you know, I'll listen to every one of these tracks. Um, it's the whole album is set up, uh, as kind of like an old radio show about Dr. Doom. So there's all these cool skits in between that are from the old original radio broadcasts about the comic Dr. Doom and just, man, the beats, you know, rhymes like dimes, doomsday, uh, you know, um, what's the other one that I'm, that I'm leaving out? Um, I mean, rhymes like dimes is like my favorite M. Oh, Doom God, song God. of all time. I think that one is just like, so just dope. <laughs> yeah. And, and you can actually hear at the end of that song, uh, when the beat just, they just keep the beat going. And I believe that that is, uh, the last song they recorded for the album. And, you can hear like a younger MF Doom um, having just laid down like his last track on this album and he's just freestyling like just goofy lines. He's like, I don't know what people say on the spot that on the end of albums, you know, like mashed potatoes, buttery biscuits. And you can <laughs> just hear the joy in his voice, like knowing he just like made a banger and yeah. that he just finished an album that he can totally be proud of. And that like level of joy to me just like percolates throughout all of these songs. It's truly a unique album um, by a very unique um, artist. So yeah, Operation Doomsday, that's my number five. That's a good one too. Yeah, I don't have MF Doom, Doom on my list, but definitely in definitely wasn't far away. It was in close proximity for sure. So many lines that. You know, you you have to go back and listen listen to twice to you, you. The more you listen to him, the more you get out of it. Mm -hmm. And he's just very clever. 
and sort of reminds me just of, you know, so it was one of those guys that just feels like can just rap forever and just not stop like cannabis or like big pun. Right. It just feels it's just part of, you know, it's just in his veins. It's, it's effortless. Uh, just an impressive display is, is there's this like... line in, in that song rhymes like dimes. I listened to that song when I was getting ready for this podcast and he has this line in that song that to me is like one of the great lines of hip hop that like it, it'll just pop into my head when I'm like folding laundry or doing some mundane thing. And that's the line he says, only in America can you find a way to earn a healthy buck and still keep your attitude on self-destruct, which mm -hmm. I think is just like so rings so true in the artist experience, kind of what we were talking about earlier. Um, here's a guy that has struggled with his own substance issues. You know, I don't know if, you know, how familiar you are with his backstory, but he had this group with his brother, I think his twin brother called KMD back in the day. They have an amazing song called Peach Fuzz. Highly recommend anybody uh, check them out on YouTube. It's an amazing music video. It's just about two young guys talking about trying to grow out their facial hair and how they feel like they're still men, even though they can't grow out facial hair. And uh, <laughs> it's just like a classic hip hop song. But, um, you know, he lost his brother and uh, they were super close and they were like experiencing success as hip hop artists. And then I think he had like a period of time where he just like, kind of vanished and went into his own darkness and then he like resurrected as mf doom and you know the everybody knows him because he only wears the mask on stage and uh you know one of my favorite stories about him a did he have of, the did he, did he have the mask on in that video you're talking about no no this is early this is early there they're not even in mf doom like mf doom wasn't even a thing yet um mm. and i think that part of like his like you know, his own tortured path was that he didn't want to like have his face shown anymore or something like something about it. It's like a crutch or it's a way of him being public, but still like holding something that, you know, this is totally my own, uh, you know, take on it. But, you know, it case in point, you know, one of my favorites, you know, stories of MF Doom is there was a music festival where apparently he hired another guy to perform as himself and the guy got caught with the MF doom mask on like <laughs> lip syncing to the MF doom songs. And, uh, I think actually my friends shout out Sam Harris was at that, at that festival where it went down. But I just think that's so funny that like, you know, MF doom to me is like the most, like, I don't give a fuck rapper, you know, where he'll just like, pay another guy to do his shows, you know, and get drunk or something. <laughs> I'm sure he probably, and while he was probably watching this, yeah, he was probably like, you know. Losing <laughs> it in the green room. You know? <laughs> Enjoying the show. <laughs> for, sure, for sure, yeah. Like, to me, he just, he seems like that type of a, a character who's not really so concerned with having his face on everything that he does and having his, you know, he's not so much of like about having his face be the thing that everybody recognizes and uh, the symbolism of the mask. And, you know, the other album of his that I could have put on this list is the one he did with Danger Mouse, which is the Danger Doom album, which is also, you know, the song he did with Talib. Uh, Old School Rules is like probably in my top five hip hop songs of all time. Mm -hmm. um, just that sample is like so 
it's just what I love about hip hop. I just love that song. Um, and still on my, like, on a lot of my playlists. But, uh, but this one, to me, this is the first MF Doom album that I ever got. Shout out Truman Berry. My freshman, <laughs> my senior year of high school, we were both working at Video West Pizza out in Force Knowles, and we would just smoke weed in the back, make pizzas, and bump hella hip-hop. And he was the one that really got me into MF Doom because he'd always bring these cutty albums. And um, and and that that album for me really like symbolizes that time of just finishing up high school and, and being a huge stoner and eating hella pizza. <laughs> yeah, I remember him being like a, you know, real... What, what was intriguing was just kind of the mystery of what, what was behind the mask and... And you didn't know what to think of it at the t- at the time, but I really liked the idea. And and I think, uh, what's her name? I think Saya. Is it Saya? It's like a popular artist, a sand- chandelier singer, uh, songwriter. Kind of has the same thing going now, where she she wears like these very long bangs and mm. and uh, just kind of you know covers the majority of her of her face because she feels like she wants her her work to to do the talking it's not about image so much of music has become about image and people this the industry is looking for someone with the entire package right meaning you got to have the looks you got to have the personality you got to have the voice you, you know well these you, days you don't even need to have the voice you know they just right someone who's good looking and won't make any waves you know exactly exactly and they can they can create the star if they have the right elements of that of that package, mostly being looks yeah. for, for a lot of different varieties of, of music, which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean it, it makes for what we see today, which is this a music industry, a mainstream music industry that doesn't really have any teeth anymore. Um and you know you have basically a lot of models doing auto tune, and uh, you know it 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 you know thank God maybe this is you know it's it's a chicken and an egg thing, but the internet has allowed for you know music to become a niche thing where we can find what we like. Um, but I do think that we are, especially during this like pandemic when this was recorded, you know I got a lot of musician friends now that are very uncertain about what the future of independent music is going to be because you can't even tour right now and this isn't going to be the last you know pandemic that we have to lock down for so we're going to witness a lot of change as people try to put their creative talents towards finding new ways to engage with fans and support themselves through their art and it's uh it's definitely there's a lot of question marks out there the, the old the old format you know the cool thing about it is that with the advent of all this production technology like i mean anybody can create a song with with relatively little you know upfront investment i mean even with this podcast i'm you know i'm in my bedroom right now with with a collection of little you know prosumer level tools but i can create an idea and, and bring it to people that might want to hear it. You know, I don't need a, a big fancy studio to do this. And for a lot of these artists, 
um, they can do the same thing. So, yeah, and it, what the problem for us is that it, it makes it so much harder to sift through because so many people can make music, right? And so it, it it's a lot of legwork now to really sift through because when there's more music, there's also a lot of bad music too. Like, let's face it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Now, now that everyone and their mom can make it, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of mediocre to bad. And so you still have to rely on similar pathways of finding the music that you really, you know, will, will find valuable to you of, you know, you go out, going out there and, and finding the people that you trust with music. You know, we all have people that we trust with their music taste or their Shout movie. Shout out Brian taste. Kelly. <laughs> right. Or their, or their even, you know, their food taste. You know, right. we, have, we have, we have particular people that we trust. The curators uh, and the tastemakers. Right, right. People that give us those recommendations and we can rely on them and we know we're not wasting our wasting our time. We can take it to the bank. Yeah. Right. That this will be something that is going to be something that I'm gonna enjoy and incorporate, um, at least on some level. I'm gonna see something that they saw in it. So there's there's still you still have to kind of go through your normal channels, but there's just so much out there these days and it's a bit, it's a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really puts the onus on, on the audience to, you know, to discover it. And so it, it it's funny despite being so connected and maybe it's just cause I'm kind of a technological Luddite and that's even relative to, you know, I'm sure relative to the generation before me, I'm pretty high tech, but I'm still mostly discovering music through word of mouth, you know, and I kind of shy away from what the generation below me uses. I'm not really a big SoundCloud guy. I know, I know like my cousin who's like 10 years younger than me, like is a lot more tuned in to music through these online portals, whether it's like Spotify or, you know, I will sometimes use like the Spotify radio and find new <laughs> artists that way. But you know, a lot of what I'm finding is, is, you know, via my friends. And, you know, I will say that even with that, a lot of my friends listen to old music and there's so much old music out there. You know, I've spent the majority of the last, you know, better part of the last decade, just like learning about like B-side soul music, which is like my favorite stuff. And so, you know, I'm really privileged to have some friends that have like made like learning these old like b-side records the stacks recordings the old motown stuff like i got guys that i can go to and be like hey what do i need to like learn next and they'll give me like four or five albums um but you know as far as the new and contemporary stuff that's kind of like a roll of the dice you know one person that that didn't make it on my list that easily could have who is a more contemporary artist is j cole you know, mm -hmm. who, who I came into a couple years ago and for at least a year was like, you know, he's the guy that got me back into hip hop after a long time of not really listening to it. I started listening to his albums and I was just like, man, this guy's like 
for me, it was like almost the next pock in a way as far as getting me fired up about the genre and having such a wide range of, uh, of emotions come through on his tracks and such a like brutal honesty about his experience. I, I still love that guy. I love his music and, uh, and I'm always excited when he produces something new. I love J. Cole too. And it was hard leaving him off for sure. You know, a lot of people say he's kind of like, you know, if Nas and Tupac had a, had a baby, right? You know, yeah. you, know you get something like yeah, J. Cole is really, really good, talented. And some, some rap, some rappers have, have, have just, they, how do I describe it? They, the, the raps are tight, but the songs really aren't. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Either they're overproduced or they're underproduced or they're overwrapped. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It's um, like, can you, can you like write a song that's technically proficient, but still something that people would want to party to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like some, some artists have, if you listen closely, you'll like the lyrics, but it's really just not pleasing to the ear. Yeah, it's not palatable. Yeah. And J. Cole is extremely palatable to me. I mean, yeah. he's he's right up my alley. Totally. I think Kendrick for me is a little bit less palatable to mm-hmm. my personal ear, although I think he is just as talented, if not yeah. more so. I'm, I'm on I the same page with you there. That you you articul- articulated that so beautifully, totally. Yeah, and you know, even 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 folks like um, even folks like Kanye, I left left out with College yeah. Dropout. I thought about putting College Dropout on there, right. uh, mostly because of because of there's just a lot of good songs. Even though I don't like Kanye as yeah. just. <laughs> Just as a person, you know what I mean? Right, right. Like I just don't like them, can't stand them. Mm-hmm. The songs are undeniably yeah. very pleasing to listen to. Dang. And he brought forward a lot of the sampling where he you know, he he he, he used just a ton of yeah. really, really nice, cool uh samples that I felt like kind of switched things up mm-hmm. and you know, I like trans- him so much more as a producer. Yes, um, and I think when the when that album came out, I was it was my early college days, and I already had such like a bad taste in my mouth about like what his like subject matter was, um, right. and that the people that I knew that happened to be like really into him were also people I didn't really trust musically, and right. so a lot of that music got colored in that regard. Um, I think that he uh yeah i mean i i i like i said before i I think that like from a musical standpoint this he has his finger on a pulse uh in this kind of intuitive sense that you just can't learn you know he's got this like real you know almost in the way you know and this is an interesting i guess parallel but in the way that people talk about like r kelly having like a certain like just understanding of the genre intuitively Um, Mm -hmm. you may not necessarily agree with like the man himself you know and and they're they may be like kind of like the bad guy of the genre or the heel they may play into that role of like the villain but 
they you can't argue with the content that they produce the quality of the work you know right yeah i mean with kanye it's like how much can you talk about gucci and lacoste yeah or, yeah you know it's but he's also produced get by by talib Kweli. right and you know that's the other side of his mm -hmm. it's this really you know really conscious cool kind of soulful totally. song so it's you know it's it's hard you know it was, it was hard to leave some of those guys off but let me ask you this do you feel like you've kind of been left behind like how you said you're you know you a lot of people you know like the older older styles older music so you you dive into that do you feel like you've you've kind of gotten left behind in terms of staying up on the newer stuff Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I've always, I think I've always had like, for me, there's always been like a 10 year aging period, especially with hip hop, where I almost need like a decade for the music to age before it's like something I can interface with. Because when it's like current, there's so much that, that I'm kind of disgusted by about the commercialism of our culture. And it right. needs to be kind of quaint before I can like dive in because it hurts. It, like it causes me like physical pain to hear, you know, just how commercialized music's become. And so like, you know, F uh, 50 Cent's a perfect example of that. I didn't really like 50 Cent when I was in high school when his hits were coming out. Now I love that music and I will listen to his albums and nod my head and I'm like so into it, but I do remember being in high school and being like very much like mm, Biggie and Pac are better. Mm, I'm not going to, you know, like I couldn't let him into my heart. Right. Um, and right. it's the same, you know, I don't know, even know what to say. Like, you know, I'm sure there are some trap guys out there that I will eventually, you know, come to enjoy. But right now, a lot of that music, the mumble rap stuff, I have a really hard time even understanding it, you know, not just from a, a lyrical perspective, but also just from like what the draw is. And, uh, you know, my cousin who I was talking about, who's like a decade younger than me, you know, we've hung out a couple of times and he's tried to like turn me on to, you know, the stuff that he's listening to. And I'm like, get off my lawn. You know, like I feel like an old man cause I just don't see it. And I'm like, find myself <laughs> saying things like this is just noise you know and uh so yeah in a lot of ways you know i do find you know i'm as much as i'm trying to not you know fall into that it's really hard and you know it also is why like for me it's like so nice to discover someone like anderson pack who is contemporary and who is like kind of mainstream or a j cole or a um man who uh the dude uh god he's just he's one of these other guys that's in this crew um who's the you know the um have you seen rhythm and flow yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. with uh with terrence howard or hustle and flow is that hustle and flow not the rhythm yeah, yeah hustle and flow with uh it's ti it's cardi b and it's Who's the third person that I'm totally spacing on right now? Um, or is Rhythm Flow? Chance is the that... Rapper. With oh, Chance. yeah, Chance. You know, just yeah. these these people that are like, 
yeah work they're like in that niche where i can respect their music musicality you know um and for me like that show like i was in from start to finish and i loved it and i've been like the fact that like d smoke won like to me gave that show a level of like credibility because he in my opinion was like by far the most interesting character and like that he was really someone that uh understood that he was trying to like speak truth not just be a flash a flashy guy you know um and i've been following him and 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 listening to the stuff that he puts out and you know but yeah but i I think in many ways you know just to get back to your question um i do feel like a lot of it's left me behind uh i think one of the reasons why i liked j cole so much was he's someone that i could tell had done his homework and he had like gone through those years of listening to a lot of big and Pac and and understanding why nas was who nas is and you know he got me on that album i let nas down i mean i think that's like you know one of the great you know humble yeah you know, brag you know like he, that to me was like yes that's you totally hit the nail on the head with this story like that's exactly what I've been waiting to hear from a mainstream artist is like talking about what so many of us in this generation have experienced, which is like, man, like there hasn't been another Pac or another Biggie or another, you know, who has, you know, really done it in, in, for hip hop, you know, since it's gone full commercial, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And there was a period there. I think where a lot of us just kind of, tuned out because I think everyone was recognizing that hip hop was dying at, right. at a point there. There was just a lull mm-hmm. um, where there just was not anything inspirational coming out. There wasn't anything that was uh, connecting at all. It, it, the, the, the genre felt like it had changed and not to a more desirable form, right? It mm-hmm. it becomes a lot more poppy, and uh, the 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 people that who were getting the credit as the top rappers at the time were veering far away from from I think where a lot of us wanted to to be. Yeah, um, let me ask with- you a question: When was the last time, like? a mainstream artist, like mainstream hip hop artist, like taught you something, you know? Can you remember the last, the last one who like actually kind of expanded your consciousness in any way? Not, not anyone, you know, not anyone's super duper current. Um, There are some guys obviously still making music that are, that are still, uh remnants of that of that age yeah that are that are still doing it but i really do have to go back in 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 time to to get that there's there's uh periods and there there's particular you know little little sectors where you have to find it of course there's always going to be an underground scene that's rebelling against that uh that you know that that 
commercial form form of the of the genre and they're gonna fiercely stick to to you know what what they believe that the that that hip-hop should be and i love kind of that that die hard um you know attitude of just keeping just keeping that little kernel it's always sort of un- under the surface you got to find it mm-hmm. and it's a shame that it's not flipped right that that's not the norm right. and you know you have to really search for for the good stuff and i don't know what that quite says about our society really <laughs> of you know of that that stuff not being the more the more desirable uh form it just seems to me that that's really where the good stuff uh tends to tends to be and it felt like at a time that even the underground was dying off a bit but you know who you know who, who knows hope hopefully it will it will get back to where it was you're just not seeing the consistency that we used to see where even the mainstream stuff was still stuff that that you, they they might have a couple songs that that were made for made for the money yeah but when you listen to their album there's songs that were made for the people that dove into the album right. and you'd get rewarded with these uh with 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 these deeper songs with these more meaningful lyrics and and you know more soulful rhythms and things like that mm-hmm. nice well uh that was a beautiful tangent we just took a nice little ride and uh i'm i'm now like uh super ready to hear your number four yeah my number four so yeah we <laughs> Is is sort of a good segue from from MF Doom having that that feeling that you know looks shouldn't shouldn't determine your your success in the industry and this person clearly was you know kind of the opposite of that right <laughs> <laughs> you know I've got so I've got uh, Notorious B.I.G. ready to die oh, so this yeah. so this is a guy that you know, obviously had none of those looks. <laughs> he just so proudly made up for it with the personality I'm just, and the swag. And oh. I'm just going to be that good where it doesn't matter, yeah. right? I will yeah. still be appealing, uh, you know, to, to you know, men, men, men are going to listen to me. Women are going to want me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, he was just off the charts good ready to die i've got it my number four for obvious reasons warning one of the most stepped on tracks on that album super super good where he's telling the story about being woken up at five o'clock in the morning and in his house by a phone call and that first line uh, man (laughs) you know where he's where he's like you know the uh you know, there's there's someone that's coming to coming to kill you because I forget what it is like a little deal deal that went bad in the past, something like that. Well, just the way that he that he tells that, like the first that first line, like you know, who the fuck is this paging me at five forty six in right. the morning? Like he goes back and forth <laughs> with a compressed, like, the compressed voice that's like his friend who's telling him, 
and he tells right. the whole story about like who was it was it this guy no no it was those other guys oh i wasn't talking about them i was talking about this other guy and yeah. it's like exactly how you would hear it but it all fit it, it's still a song you know like it, it man yeah like th that just shows the wizardry right there oh it was it's just phenomenal how he just bounces around with his rhymes and you know he has a way of being unpredictable but mm -hmm. still landing it so that you get the satisfaction that you wanted from from that rhyme right. and just does it on layer upon layer upon layer bar after bar after bar just kills it uh obviously juicy is one of the one of the best songs of it's all time juicy is in my top five you know that's that's in contention for like the best hip-hop song of all time in my book that just that beat like makes my heart weep every time i hear it it's so beautiful <laughs> fantastic beat you, you feel the lyrics too about yeah. how no one was expecting this out out of them and now look what he's done look look what look what he's done for himself look what what he's made himself into so much joy. And it's just against all odds and yeah his, his ability to give his mom the, the things that he's always wanted to and um you know you, you just and, it, and it's just so clean every single verse in that song yeah. alone is a fantastic uh, verse but as a whole, it's just such a good song. Such a good song. This, is, this was his breakthrough album, so you can really hear that leak through, that sense of like, I'm ready for the world to see me. I'm ready for the world to hear me. You know, I've been, this is, what, how old was he when he came out? Like, what, 1920, something like that? He had to be, yeah. Maybe probably. a little older. I, I, yeah, I maybe. In front of me, but that. there was this sense of like, I've been working my whole life to put this down and you know, like even on this album, like I might not be around for another one. You know, you got suicidal thoughts. He, mm -hmm. gets, he gets deep on this, but this sense that like I am, this is a generational talent and I don't know how much time I have. So I'm going to, I'm going to like really bring my a game on every one of these tracks. And yeah. I, I have this down on my list too. It's, it's a little bit later. Um, I had to weight this one a little heavier, and I totally understand uh, it being on yours at this spot. But yeah, for me, just you know, Big Papa, um, you know, and we can t go into a little more depth when I bring it up uh, in just a minute. But um, yeah, this is just you know, I think Biggie's probably you know in in contention for my number one spot as far as like my favorite rappers of all time and this is an this is the album that made him that for me so um i still remember you know i think it was that maybe it was that i think it was that same road trip that we took the camping trip where with all the tupac albums but when you picked me up i think it was the first if it wasn't the first time it was one of the first times you you just like I got in the car and you looked at me and you were like listen to this and you put on <laughs> warning and I will st it still like will bring me back to that moment of like this big road trip ahead of us being super excited I think probably smoking a bowl and like mm -hmm. driving down Arroyo and the sun is shining and it's just like 
warning, man. Ah, oh, that one yeah. hits for sure. Yeah. 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 Just a crazy, crazy, crazy good album. Uh, we'll talk more about it when, yeah. when, uh, sure. when we get back in the list. Well, that brings me to my number four, which I just have to say, like, this is number four, but like on any given day, you could ask me and it would be my number one. Um, I think that the the ones that are above it is are there because I didn't come into this album until my early 20s. And uh, had it come into my life earlier, the, it, clear, it totally could have been the number one. I think this album is, you know, it, it could just, there's no reason why it shouldn't be my number one other than the, uh, just how good hip hop is and how many good titles there are. So uh, without any more, I'm just going to get out there and say it. For me, the number four spot goes to Most Def, Black on Both Sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a Most Def hater for years. I think, uh, the, you know, I, I didn't really love him as an actor. And I, I first kind of experienced him as that. And on the Chappelle show, he did like a freestyle with Chappelle that I just found kind of corny and didn't really like. And so I never really gave him his proper due. But when I started listening to this album and got really dove into it, it was one of those albums that like you say, like, you know, me feeling like I got left behind. This is one of those albums that was like, no, 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 no. You still have more to learn as far as hip hop goes. And it just... Yeah, I mean, the list of songs on it, it is a perfect album. Like, it's another one of those ones that I will listen to everything on here and do so again and again. I mean, from hip hop to love. I mean, Miss Fat Booty is like in my top five best songs of all time. I love that song. The yeah, that beat. song's a great song. Yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> we've all had a Miss Fat Booty in our lives that's made us feel that way, where we're just like, <laughs> you know, the stars align and you're suddenly like talking to someone that's making you lose your mind. And like, you know, they're going to hurt you, but like, you just can't say no to the experience. And, uh, you're just kind of swept along by it. I think he totally like nails the the vibe and, and what it's like to be in that experience. Um, you know, you got got, you know, it's a great song. Um, mm-hmm. And New World Water, like, is there a song that's more ahead of its time? You know, just, right. I can still listen to that song and the lyrics are as re- relevant now as they were the day he wrote them. Yeah. Um, Habitat, uh, you know, I think Most Deaf is like one of the great hook writers of our time. And, mm. uh, you know, that song, you know, that the hook on that song is one that, that, that keeps getting me. Mathematics. Another one, yeah. you know, I'm not even allowed to say all the names on this, on this list, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there's one with featuring Q-Tip that, uh, that, you know, has some pretty poignant lines uh, that, you know, talking about going on the airline flight and getting seated in first class and, you know, just, just, uh, it's just part of the experience of, of being black in our culture and being famous and black and, and still feeling like you're getting, you know, not being accepted for being a legitimate person or a legitimate artist. Um, super important songs. Yeah, fantastic songs. 
Yeah, I love Mostef. Mostef for me was he was probably the first rapper that I started listening to on a regular basis. Uh, I'm not quite sure how I found him, what my first introduction was, but I just remembered instantly liking it. I loved his voice. I love his rhyme uh, patterns. Mm. Uh, I loved his lyrics, although I didn't know what all of them meant yet. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, he's got really, you know, he, he's got lyrics that are, are deep political and social commentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always had just a really great, deep respect for most deaf. Were you in one of those classes where, what was that? Po- what was the poetry teacher? Doherty. That- Doherty. Yeah. Where Doherty would. Doherty. Doherty is like, it was like first day of class and he'd bust out his vinyl version of Black on Both Sides. He'd bust out the turntables during the like, yeah. tutorial and scratch and stuff. Yeah. Was... Yeah. And as his, um, and that, that was his example of poetry. Right. He's like, this is poetry. Yeah. And so I've always I've always loved that album. It's always had a, a great place in my heart. That this one is really tough to keep yeah. off the list. It really was. You know, I t- I took that poetry class of Doherty, and uh, we had an assignment where we had to write a song about, or we had to write a poem about a place. And mm-hmm. I got super inspired like the night before it was due, and I ended up on GarageBand recording uh, a hip hop song that was like called my house and it was just like a song about how sick my house was because like i loved my house it was the it was the one just up the street from you on a royal road it was like still to this day like the best house i've ever lived in and uh, yeah and it was just you know i still remember i think the hook was like it's my house it's my own beloved environment it's my house i want one just like this for retirement it's my home Nobody else can claim it is theirs. It's my abode. In my opinion, no other compares. <laughs> it's just like super goofy. And I like the next day I show up and everybody's like reading their poems off of a, off of a, a you know, pieces of paper or whatever. And I like am hella proud. And I just whip out my, I burned the CD and I just like put it in the, boombox that he had and i just played my song for everyone in the class and he gave me an a and he was like super pumped on it and i just remember like there was like i put in like a bunch of like lyrics that were like repping the valley experience and i remembered you know shout out joe larky was in my class and there was this line in it that i that was like every day's a cutty mission just to get to school and he was like, dude, that's hella real. Cause we used to always hitchhike to school in the morning. And, uh, it was just like, you know, I loved that class with Doherty. He was like one of the great teachers, super lucky to get to, you know, any teacher that'll come into a high school class and like set up his turntables and bring a microphone and let you spit flows, you know, just his ability to connect with us. Super, super awesome. Yeah, it's nice when you have just those really influential teachers that are just cool. Yeah. Also, you know what I mean? Uh, that just make it easier to learn just because they can relate to you. And they'll, they'll, 
you know, they, they don't make you stretch out and, and go to them as an adult. Like they will, they will dip down to you where you are at and, and relate to you. Well, and help you recognize that like your creativity is valid and that's really all that matters is just like listening to that voice, you know? And I remember he would spit his own flows. I remember one day we were doing a cypher and he was like, give me a rhyme, give me a rhyme. And I was like, fiddle faddle. And then he like did like (laughs) three lines about fiddle faddle, you know? And it was like, oh man, this guy, oh, so good. (laughs) (laughs) Super dope. Well, yeah, most deaf. Uh, You know, one thing I'll say about him is Barring the the al- the Black Star um, albums that he made with Talib, mm-hmm. you know I don't love his other work, and I think that he went off in a really like creative direction where he did a lot of experimentation, and I just found a lot of the other albums like a lot harder for me to interface with. Um, yeah, you know one of the things that's tricky for me personally. I don't really love like rock and roll uh, being blended with hip hop. It's the timbers, distortion doesn't really vibe, you know, just just for me personally. I like more of like the soulful and jazzy and smoother like uh, palette of tones. And with, you know, with other artists that have tried to blend the two genres with rock and roll, I love rock and roll, but it's not one i think you can blend hip-hop with almost any other genre and it totally works um but Mm -hmm. for me rock and roll just doesn't it you know so maybe with some select songs um the blues certainly does but um i think with with most deaf there was a couple of those albums that um he was getting very political and very you know speaking his truth and and all respect to it but like from what you were talking about sonically an album that I could just put on and enjoy. Uh, it was a lot harder for me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good segue into my, uh, my number three. All right. We're up to the final and, three, baby. Yeah. We're to the final three and sort of speaking of someone who kind of fell off the, the radar a bit and, um, you know, this album for me, I thought it was pretty revolutionary at the time. I had never heard anything like it. Um, I think just it's it's mix, it's blending of genres worked for me. Uh, it was more of that kind of mellow nature than obviously that that rock nature that we found kind of abrasive with. Uh, with most deaf. Um, and I might be stretching the genre a bit by, uh, by going with this album. Tell me if this is cheating at all, but I'm going with, um, the miseducation of Warren Hill. Yeah. I really like this album. And I, and I thought about going with the score by the Mm -hmm. Fugees. Obviously that's an incredible album. Fuji love ready or not. Yeah. Um, what's that remake of the song she does that just skyrocketed the charts? Um, what was her number one song on that? Killing uh, me softly, but no, that was on Miseducation, right? Yeah, Killing Me Softly. No, that was on that was on the score. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that album is incredible too. Right. But 
but I went with the miseducation of Lauren Hill. I just love that album all the way through. Uh, she dives deep into important topics. I love the song uh, to Zion where she goes into her decision about whether because the industry was and the people around her were pressuring her to get an abortion for the sake of her career, okay. right? Um, which is something that a lot of women have to go through, right? Right. Um, and so she was. Ta- she talked about how the, the impact that that it had on her, and um, obviously the the decision that she made going from from the heart, and how she couldn't be more uh, more thankful. Um, and doo-wop, oh, obviously, um, can't time. take my eyes off of you, um, X-Factor, yeah. Yeah, you know, the only, you know, this, re- if we were doing an R&B list, this album would be on it, um, and I think that's the, the, you know, I totally understand why it's on your list, and I think it's one of the great albums of our time, for sure, and, um, and no, no bone to pick at all. Um, but, but in, on my radar, that's probably how I would classify it. Um, mm-hmm. And I certainly looked at this. I also looked at the score, and I was like, it was hard to to cut the score. Um, I think the reason that I did was because, as much of an album, I loved it, but I never really felt like it was my album. I, I don't think I ever owned it, and I, it was one that I a lot of times would would listen to because other people put on. And, and not because I didn't love it. I just never ended up like going through the process of really diving into it. And it's something that I'll probably listen to a lot more after doing this process. Um, because I think in my opinion, like Lauren Hill is the number one female MC that I've ever heard. I think she's also just probably like in my top 20 MCs of all time. Um, she has it all as far as you know, rhythmic control, interesting lyrics, social commentary, rhyme scheme, as well as just a pleasant voice. The vocal timbre is there. And, you know, at her peak, she had, you know, one of the the most insanely talented voices, you know, I've ever heard. Um, unfortunately, you know, uh, she's got a bit of a reputation these days about her performances. I've only seen her once and it was, it was good, but it wasn't great. Um, but, but for this album, you know, if there ever was an album where someone was shining at their brightest, I think without a doubt, you know, miseducation is, is, you know, a masterpiece. Yeah. I have her as, you know, it crosses my mind that she might be the most talented that there is in terms of both singing and rapping. Yeah. Um, between those two skill sets, there might be nobody better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's just that good. Certainly Um, during this era, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, boy, did she finish. She's another one of those where you just were just praying to God that she would make more and more and more music. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because when she came out with that album... Mm. It, it's just it was just impossible not to enjoy that album i just think i feel like uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of girls that we grew up with that became singers because of this album you know i, mm-hmm. I, I know i've made music with a few of them 
and grew up, you know, it, we were lucky to go to a public school that had a lot of support of the arts. And I, and I remember go, being in high school and witnessing a number of girls that were singers. And it was largely because of this album that, you know, that got them really inspired to do that. Yeah. 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 Phenomenal album. I go back and listen to that album all the time. I really even liked um, Lauren Hill's Unplugged stuff, even though her voice was just not, not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, still some just really, really good stuff. And I like the format of the, um, what do you call it? Where, where it's, um, you know, where she was just, just, just guitar backed. Um, just acoustic. Yeah, just a acoustic style. I think that really lends itself well to uh, her voice, her skill set. Mm. Uh, if you haven't taken a look at that, yeah. it's, it's pretty good. Stuff. And even though her voice was, you know, not what it once was, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a great pick, and uh, that brings me to my number three, uh, which is already been talked about on your list but uh for my number three i had to go nas ilmatic um that's you know that's my my favorite nas album again one that could have been number one i think on the rolling stones top 50 or top 100 that's the number one album that they have said um a 19 year old nas coming in with his breakthrough album and just it just, you know, it's one, it's, it's one of those albums. Every song is perfect. Every song is that album. Every song on that album would be any other rapper's best song of their career. You know, if, yeah. if, if any other rapper could have one of those, you know, that's a lot of people's, you know, very best. I mean, you've already named a lot of the titles. I will say New York State of Mind was my first ringtone. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I ever had back when I had a flip phone, my first cell phone, I remember, I don't think I had ever even really listened to the album much, but I was looking on the store at like the different, like, you know, I think it was just one bar of, uh, or maybe even two bars of the of the hook, you know, uh, but that, that became, you know, my, my, uh, my ringtone that would go off. So that song, and that piano on that song to me is just like, oh, it gets me every time. It gets me so excited. Um, yeah. But, you know, The World Is Yours, uh, Halftime. Um, Life's a Bitch. Life's a Bitch. Really good song. Represent. represent. Oh, favorite. Represent. That beat. That I did. Yeah. I chose that That's song, uh, my first ever breakdance performance at the, uh, at the Marin Civic Center. Um, that was the song I, I put on for my part and that I choreographed and they made me like cut it short. Cause it, there's, it's like in the beginning, they're like dropping some N bombs and swear in a bunch. And so uh, <laughs> they, they like kind of had to tone it down for me, but like, I, I didn't even know that that's a DJ premiere beat, but that's like that beat. And, uh, just that's one of those hip hop songs that like still gives me chills yeah just like sums up like hip-hop's ability to like really excite like the nervous system it just there isn't anything more exciting than that feeling and yeah um you know even to the last song it ain't it ain't hard to tell you know it's just 
Oh, yeah. Um, it just, you know, it's just a perfect album. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's really one of those songs that embodies like 90s hip hop and the best of what the 90s had to offer. And, you know, it, it, it kind of just makes me feel like I'm at a basketball court in this, you know, in the city or in Oakland, you know, uh, and there's pickup games going on and I'm kind of sweaty and there's like that dirt that only comes off your hands off a of basketball when you've been playing outside mm-hmm. and you're just like kind of happy and you're like relaxing, maybe drinking like a red Gatorade and you're just like, yeah, Illmatic, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can pro- pro- you know, practically see, smell, taste what's going on in this album it's i mean lyrically he's off the it's just absolutely off the charts i think Nas for me probably top five just in terms of lyrics i mean just amazing uh in terms of his ability as a storyteller the vocabulary he uses um he's he's clever in the way that he arranges songs and, and arranges his, lyri- his lyrics like on his on his later albums he's got like rewind oh, which is a, that's where my mind went originally like immediately mm, which, which is an incredible song he just has so many I mean, so what about songs. get down you know like oh, the, get the, down the yeah. james brown sample that you know oh, yeah that song <laughs> <laughs> that song might be my top ten songs of all time. Totally. I mean, that song, I love that song. Yeah. yeah, but this, but I agree with you. As a whole, Illmatic is just a a perfect album. He's got other albums where you can pick and choose a few songs, and there's other, you know, pretty good songs, but just not up to the level of consistency of right. these down the line are just all incredible songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just it's the... a short album. Only, it's only 10 tracks but i mean it's all every single one of them and i think is, that might that's part of it you know like it's not one yeah. of those double book 24 track albums it's just mm-hmm. 10 of 10 sweet you know and i think a lot of times with these breakthrough albums you know like there's like like multiple like notebooks worth of lyrics that have gone into the like make like just thinking about like what were some of the songs that didn't make it on like you know he was coming off of a lifetime of developing as an artist and that this was like his first 10 that he wanted to represent him as an artist you know and 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 really like you know paved the road for him to go on to have one of the most august careers in hip-hop and Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just to get to see what a 19-year-old can do um, with that. And, uh, you know, I, I got to see him later. You know, I got to see him do Rewind Live when I was in college and uh, was so impressed that he had, like, the breath control because I had heard that, like, he was out of shape and couldn't really do his songs anymore. But he got up and did Rewind and crushed it. You know, didn't miss a beat, didn't drop a line. And... Uh, yeah, one of the greats for sure. This is my number three, so nomadic. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, for number two, I've got. I kind of cheated, and I've got dual number twos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, one. One of them is uh, 
is Me Against the World, okay. which, we've, which we've discussed yeah. um, for all the obvious reasons. And then another one, just because I just I had just had them tied, was, uh, was All Eyes on Me. Okay. And I just had to put it in uh, for the simple fact that I think that when he, so after he got out of jail, after he got bailed out of jail by, by Suge Knight, he came out with just this ferociousness where he knew he wanted to take this thing, you know, to take it back to, to, you know, just to destroy everything in his path. And I think it raised everyone else's game in the genre, yeah. this album, because when he came out with this, mm -hmm. it was just like, whew, okay, he was taken no prisoners I, I, whatsoever i am in total agreement same church same pew you know i have all eyes on me as my number one i you know spoiler <laughs> alert uh i gotta <laughs> talk about it right now because yeah. it's just uh to me the most you know if you just look at the uh, at the number of tracks on there that are that are just the best <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really, I really like have this at number one to be to be perfectly honest. It it it, it it's a double album, and it's just not fair. Like it's yeah. anyone. It's like I said the same thing about Illmatic, but All Eyes on Me is a is a double album, and any track on that album would be the best song that any other rapper ever wrote. Like it's just yeah. it is like ambitions as a writer number one all about you number two scandalous <laughs> number three got my mind made up number four how do you want it number five <laughs> I mean like Casey and JoJo is writing your hook you know like <laughs> two of America's most wanted number six no more pain number seven hearts of men number eight mm. like. It only goes on. Only God can judge me now. Like, uh, I mean, California Love doesn't even show up till number twelve, and right. yet, like, you're not you like you're not surprised. Like that one's hidden at number twelve. You know what I right. mean? Like, it's right. just you couldn't reorder. You could reorder this album any number of ways, and it wouldn't matter. You know? Right. Like, like it just. It, could you pick like the hit off this album? I mean, can't see me number one on the second side. Shorty want to be a thug number two. Like it's just you know, the thug passion numbers. I mean, it's, picture me roll it. Like I keep. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I feel like these are songs off another album because they're too good to all be on one. You know. Yeah, now that I look back at this uh, track list, this is the number one album of all time. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it is, it's, there's just no questions about it. Uh, there are, I want to say about, let's see, maybe 20, 23 tracks maybe that are like what, you know, anyone, you know, you, you could find someone that could consider that track the one of the best of all time. 
Yeah. You know, there's probably 23 tracks, 22, 23 tracks like that. I mean, even when you're, you're getting down to, yeah, picture me rolling, when we ride, all eyes on me, you know, rather be N-I-G-G-A, mm-hmm. um, holla at me, can't see me, yeah. shorty want to be a thug. I mean, these yeah. are all, life goes on. I mean, there's just. I mean, if you had, let's let's just talk about a hypothetical. If you had thug passion, California love, shorty want to be a thug trade in war stories, you know, and uh, two of America's most wanted. Let's say you had those tracks on an album. That's my number one anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. if you just limited it to those and put those, yeah. let's say there was 10 and there was a couple others that were like some of the other tracks off of this album or off of any other one of his albums, that's still going to be my number one. Yeah. And, yeah. and yet there's three times that... There's six times what I just said, uh, and I still couldn't order in you know create a rank with those other right. tracks as well. I mean, Scandalous is got to be in my you know top twenty hip hop songs, and that's not even that's I would say one of the hits. You know, Checkout uh, Time is the same thing for me. Right. I, I love that song. Is that the We Gotta Go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's just like such a chill beat you got corrupt on there big psych yeah you could take off even the even the most popular no-brainer songs like you could take off that everyone knows like you could take off california love Mm -hmm. you could take off how do you want it yeah you could take off thug's passion picture me rolling life goes on and you'd still have a number one album Yeah, I mean, I mean, I ain't mad at you. Like, come on, man. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just, Either. yeah, the the uh, you know, rather be ya, you know. Uh, yeah. That's a song that like too short has like the same beat on one of his songs too, and um, it's just, ah, oh, man. <laughs> it's yeah. just like so much game so much sauce the the level you know we talked about with 2001 the level of production these each one of these songs isn't just like a hip-hop song it's like a studio masterpiece you know these are all songs that had like incredible instrumentation incredible sampling the the singers that he got from nate dog to casey and jojo um you know, it just, it, it, it really was, like you said, it, he needed to put his stamp down as the GOAT. And I think this is the album that, that made him that, at least in my mind. This is why Pac, you know, even though, like I said earlier, Biggie is probably like my number one as far as like, you know, raw talent rapper. Pac mm-hmm. is my number one as a, as a rapper, you know, and that's because of this album. Um, yeah, and, and that's why it's my, my number one on my list. But I'm I'm really interested to hear to hear yours. Um, but I gotta I'm just gonna put in there so we can get to your number one because I feel like it's all part of the same conversation. My number two is Ready to Die. Um, and we've all we've we spent a lot of time on that, so I don't feel like we got to go super deep. I just wanted to say that you know Biggie and Pac are you know constantly in contention as my number one and two spots 
And these are the two seminal albums by each of them. So I had to put Ready to Die as the number two. Um, but yeah, well, I want to hear what your number one was, though, because uh, even, you know, in whatever type of temporary insanity caused you to put one above all eyes on me, I got to hear what it was, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I'm really, you know, looking at that track list, um, you know, it's hard not to amend uh amend the decision but uh what i will say is that you know this this it's this still is right up there with my favorite albums on on, at any given moment it it is my favorite album um it's high tech and talib quali coming together and just forming this incredible duo where I believe that's some of the, the most well-produced songs, some of the best beats with one of the best rappers of all time. Um, Reflection Eternal, yeah. uh, Train of Thought, I just think is, it's another masterpiece. It's got songs that I think just punch you in the gut they're so good like even the outro the actually the outro is probably my it might be my favorite rap song of all time it's you'd have to keep listening it, it, it goes for about a minute of just this beat this random beat that you feel like it's just kind of the outro to the to the um to the album and then it's, it's the silent for, outro yeah and then it's silent for a few moments and then it goes into this very last song on the album and it's uh called four women the number four 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 women and it's um it's a take on nina simone's four women Mm -hmm. and it's talking it's, it's going through the stories of different uh different black women and and different uh, scenarios there's a sex worker there's a runaway slave um and just how the song is produced is incredible the song builds throughout the uh the, the stories of the four women to the last verse the, the last you know strong black woman that's that's the that's the um runaway slave and it just, I mean, it's makes me. It's, I mean, I I cry listening to it yeah. the majority of the time. It's just that deep. The the storytelling is that good. You feel like it really is the voice um, that he's trying to capture. Yeah, just an incredible song. But it's this album is peppered throughout. Love language, just yeah. a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. I mean, good memories. Morning that that uh memories live yeah bringing back sweet memories that, that yeah. song to me is like the embodiment of the first summer afternoon like pool party kind of vibe like yeah like uh it's if there was like a, a the epitome of cool or of of like that like ah like that just feeling of being out and it being warm and like you know you got a whole summer ahead of you 
Mm-hmm. You know, to me, you know, and, and it's a song about looking back. You know, it's 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 an it's another great, uh, you know, reminiscing song. But, um, mm-hmm. but I I see it totally. I I think I've I've probably listened to this album a lot less than than you have, and I don't have quite the relationship with each of these tracks. Um, but but you know, game recognize game. You know, all respect due. I most deaf and talib are are two of my hands down favorites and I totally see why this made the top of your list. Um, and it's one of those ones that I know if I like, if I took the time to, uh, to learn the words to these songs and, and I think with hip hop, there's almost like this holographic element to the lyricism where you can experience a song in a certain way for, for decades. Uh, and you're hearing the sounds and then, you know, you learn the words and it's almost like you're tuning like the lens of your ears to another uh, focal length and suddenly everything can take on a whole new meaning. Um, and it's like that with me a lot with a lot of hip hop where I'll love a song for one reason and one day like a couple of the words I'll finally like be able to decipher what they mean and suddenly the whole song will shift and I'll be able to enjoy it in a whole new way and understand like a much deeper meaning to it. And a, and a good, a good, uh, you know, a good songwriter, a good lyricist has that way of like weaving layers within layers of their meaning. Um, and that's what I love about hip hop as, as a genre is that depth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you find that throughout this album, man. Yeah. I would highly suggest going back and listening to all of these songs too late incredible song one of my favorite beats of all time um eternalist really kind of upbeat um jam and it's got kind of a neo soul atmosphere that this album mm-hmm. uh, you know it's got it, it can be pretty funky too uh so i think that there's definitely some some stuff that kind of meets your uh, particular palette. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. A couple of years ago, my mom was, uh, you know, she came to me, you know, asking because she's been getting in. She was really getting into uh, <clears throat> putting on like KML jams and uh, and like dancing in her living room as like her workout. And uh, so she was always like, "Can you send me more of like that good, like '90s hip hop that you like?" And she was doing a like choreographed dance in Belize for like the Bolinas Fourth of July parade, and she's like, "I really need like, it's got to be like conscious, positive hip hop. Um, I can't do like the gangster stuff, even though she loves dancing to gangster rap." Um, <laughs> and she was like, "Can you send me some tracks?" And I was just happened to be going through like, you know, getting back into Re- Reflection Eternal, and I, you know, I sent her. I think memories and um, there's a couple other ones that I sent and uh, and then I, I was like going through Spotify listening to all the tracks. I ended up sending her like six or seven because I was like, oh, this one. Oh, and this one. Oh, and this one. Oh, and this one. Like this is one you could dance to, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think you're right. Like even, you know, not even, not having a deeper knowledge. I still, like I said, the the first impressions on a lot of these beats and a lot of these songs, it's just good music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got, it, it's got, I think it hits 
my zone perfectly of what I like to listen to. It's just it just feels like you know honey to to my ear, listening listening to this album, and obviously Talib Kweli always always comes with the lyrics. I haven't heard some of his newest newest stuff, mm-hmm. which I need to do. Yeah. Um, but this album, this album is is up there. Yeah. Maybe it's... not number one now that I've seen all eyes on these tracklists. <laughs> But, I was surprised because nobody's been like a bigger Pac like evangelist in my life than you. <laughs> so I was like <laughs> certain that that one of his albums would be your number one. And when I like as our lists built, I was like, yeah, it's got to be all eyes on me. You know, like what what are the other ones that it would be? You know, and there, there certainly could have been. But um, I was surprised that it was at your number two because I was like, man, if if anybody like would have Pac at the top, it'd, it'd be Brandon, you know? <laughs> Believe me, I, I thought about, and there's, you know, I thought about, about better days, having that up there. Yeah. I love the album. Right. Uh, Who do you believe in is obviously one of my favorite songs of all time. Are you still down? Incredible album. Mm. Hell are one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, you know, still I rise has right. a lot of great, songs on it and the song still i rise on that album uh one of my favorite tupac verses of all time one of my favorite verses period of all time um thug life oh my god thug life is like the sleeper to me is like the sleeper my like sleeper favorite you know what i mean like like he just uh that one has like all those um you know, maybe some ones that aren't as well known, you know? Uh, right. And, you know, definitely there's, you know, going back and listening to them, uh, there's some pretty funny cameos on there. Like if you listen to them now, like some of the outlaws, you know, <laughs> like that was, I think that was like the first album where the outlaws came on. That was like their introduction. Yeah. And you, <laughs> there's a couple guys that get up to bat and like, maybe, a, maybe it needed a couple years more developing, you know, but right. like at the same time, those songs are classic, you know, yeah. and yeah. Um, I'm trying to bring it up right here. Cause you like pour yeah, out very... a little liquor, you know? Oh, how long will they mourn me? Oh, I love that I mean, one. come on, you know, yeah. that's, Right, and that that song's hella real, you know. <laughs> yeah, like... yeah, and Cradle to the Grave. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. It's Cradle yeah. to the Grave, and then what was the next, the next song on the track? It was um. Straight ballin. Straight ballin. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, how does the, what's the, uh, what's how does the intro to that go? He's like, I'm, I was gonna share the ball, the definition of ballin with all you white folk, but nah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and then it drops into that hella dope beat. Oh, those beats! Uh, who produced it? Like that was just that yeah, well produced album. Album is slept on, but even his earlier stuff too, uh, strictly for my niggas and uh, mm-hmm. Tupac. Now, those are really slept on too. Those are right. really heavily, um, you know like heavy political commentary uh lyrically just phenomenal like that and and like the point that you made earlier like with Nas the stuff you come out with first that's kind of like 
what you're you're saying, hey, you know, I, I might live and die off of this. Right. You know, this is like I got to put out some whatever the best lyrics I've got or whatever is kind of in my soul or whoever I I authentically am. Yeah. This is who I need. This is who I need to be. Right. And I think Pac got into once he got fame, mm-hmm. he felt the need to be competitive that, you know, there's like a scarcity mindset where there's not room for all of us. Right. Up, which doesn't take place. I feel like in any other genre, mm. you know, it's like, it doesn't feel like there's room for for everybody because that's kind of the mindset of oppression right. and the ghetto yeah, the scarcity mentality. Yeah. It's like, to be on, I, I to be on top. I gotta keep knocking these people down. Right. And so he transformed into a different kind of character mm-hmm. as he as he went along there. Well, it's uh, funny, you know. It's interesting that you bring that up because, and that was another thing, you know, to get back to, just to bring up J Cole again. That I got a lot of respect for him was, you know, he has that track on his album where he's like there ain't going to be no more Kings. He's like, we're all here now. You know, mm-hmm. he, he addresses that very point on his album where he's like, he's like, it doesn't got to be like that anymore. You know, he's like, like, if you make it, you're, you're, we're all on Mount Olympus. You're here with us. We don't got to hate on each other. Like, I'd rather just lo- show the love to you. If you got the skills, I'm going to show you, show you my love. Cause it's, you know, that rising tide lifts all ships and, you know, especially now that uh, that music has become so much more niche, you know, any of these artists can find a huge following because the access is there, you know. Right. And um, it just speaks to your point, I think, even deeper that, you know, that, that a lot of these artists are trying to see the bigger picture that like, hey, I can do so much more, you know, supporting and having positive relationships with, you know, these other people that were like, you know, see all seated at the round table, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that would be a good, good change. But again, it's like controversy sells. Right. And there's a market for controversy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This is, this is something that as a society we enjoy. We like seeing the gladiator competition. Right. Um, you know, we like seeing the UFC battle. We like to see people get into the ring oh, yeah. and face off. Oh, uh, I, I won't lie. The whole uh, Nick Cannon Eminem beef. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was popcorned up. I was loving that, man. <laughs> like we, we like winners and losers. Yeah. And so will it make it less intriguing as a genre mm. if there isn't that type of competitive atmosphere. Um, it's certainly a healthier atmosphere. Yeah. But again, they have to, you know, like most most deaf would say, they have to, you know, be looking into something more more spiritual in nature and and something a bit more interconnected rather than individualized. Right. And and speak to that. Um, and the other thing that that you could tell with Biggie and Pac is that, you know, they were 
also throughout trying to grapple with, especially Puck at the end there, and Biggie with like more more money, more problems, is trying to grapple with how good is fame really? Right. You know? Right. And is is this something desirable? What has this made me into? And you know, who have I become because of this? Mm-hmm. And you know, they this become this it's the goal throughout your entire life because this is what society most values is fame but then when you get there and it's not what you think it is well how do you grapple with that and you could tell especially at the end of um tupac that you know really trying to figure out um a more healthy source of life living life right really right and and letting that be part of his musical journey as well i mean that's the thing right for me that's a lot of why you know to me he's still the goat is 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 because pock's process was to to put it all into his music you know and to like be fully honest about like these questions that he was struggling with that it he wasn't afraid of like coming off soft because he still wrote the hardest shit, you know? And so right. he could explore those sides and, 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 you know, this, you know, was talking about seeing me and my brother were watching that stand up, and in the stand up, the, the stand up guy has the, even has this bit where he's talking about how Tupac like kind of changed his life because he was watching like a documentary on Pac and it talked about how, when Tupac got found, you know, after having just been shot in Las Vegas on the strip, apparently the cops came up and Pac is laying there filled with bullet holes and the cop is like, hey, like, before you pass out, like, who shot you? Like, we want to get him, you know? And apparently the way the story goes is the last words that anyone ever heard Tupac say was, fuck you, and he gave the, the cop the middle finger that like even in his dying breath he's like i'm not about you're a cop like i'm not about to perpetuate like what you are i'm not about to help you it doesn't matter that you're trying to get my enemy like fuck you you know and like you know this stand-up is telling the story you know in the context of like who am i i just tell like fart jokes look at how this guy lived his life to the bitter end like that's that's principles right there you know yeah, yeah, and you can you can hear through Machiavelli, which was his last last lyrics that he ever put down. Uh, you can hear through it, and I almost put that album up there because that album, all the way through, was really really good. Yeah, um, you can you know you see the image depicted uh, on, on the album cover, and you know it's 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 him nailed up to the cross and. Um, you get songs like Hail Mary, um, Blast for Me Against All Odds, and and you know you're starting to see, you know this 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 just kind of sort of grappling with life and death, right. um, paranoia, what it means, and um, and also some paranoia, yeah. also and 
obviously now we know for good reasons. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously he'd gotten shot five times beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got all these different, that's why, you know, folks listening that just don't feel pog, right. you know, I definitely would, you know, encourage them to look at, you know, take, take, take a little look at, at all the different albums. There's, there's something different on each one of them. And there's going to be something that you're going to feel and relate to. Well, there's, you know, I think there's something to be said for um, certain artists and some of the best, the greatest artists. There's a, you have to put some effort into, like, into um, learning the music. Like, I think with with the art form today with so much especially with like pop is like the great like nerfing of music right they file off the rough edges they're creating something that is going to be catchy from the start that gets stuck in your head that's easy to listen to but a lot of the great music isn't like that you have to like put in a little time letting your ears grow and often what you find is that It's like I was saying, you know, what you're hearing in the beginning isn't necessarily what the music is. And you put in a little bit of time listening to this stuff, your ears grow, you gain the taste for it, just like anything. And once your brain changes, the chemistry of your brain changes, you lock onto a part of it and suddenly it's like this key in this lock and you're you're suddenly, you know, uh, introduced to a whole genre of art that you never knew you could feel from the way that you are, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think in, in the way it's, it's more than just music. It's kind of how our culture is built now where things are so convenient and easy and comfortable. Um, We don't challenge ourselves. It's, it's like a challenge to challenge yourself. And with, you know, with music, you know, I would challenge anybody to, uh, you know, if you find an artist that people really care about and you don't necessarily like get it or like them, just make it a point to learn some of their music, like like study mm. an album. Even if you don't love it, like listen to it a couple times. Give yourself the chance to like fall in love with it because the best music you might not you might not understand it at first. It takes it takes a, a courtship of sorts and what you're going to find in the long run is a depth of meaning that's not always, you know, immediately obvious, um, but in the long run can really change your life and change uh, what you think you know and what you think you love. Yeah, that's very well said. Absolutely full 100% agree with all of that. That's for sure. And, you know, that that being said, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of artists, again, apologies to, um, you know, the Eric B and Rakim, you know, Peyton Full, right. uh, you know, apologies. Yeah, you want to take us through some of your honorable mentions? Because there's, there's oh, so many. Oh, I mean, there's just, you know, so many artists, you know, the, the Jay-Z's, the Little Wayne's, the, um, I mean, you know, for the, me, like, it was really hard not putting Tribe on here, you know. Absolutely, and the Root. The Roots, 
Yeah. Uh, too short, like getting it was right under there, just missed it. Um, Wu Tang. Yeah, Gangstar. Yep, um, yep, yep, yep. Uh, the Coup, Genocide and Juice, that was Coup. on my list. I had to, yep. I mean, we had a lot of good times to that album. That was, you know, I almost uh, recently I was listening to them. I put them on my jogging mix and uh, I like wanted to put Fat Cats, Bigger Fish uh, and Pimps online because I'm like, this is like so apropos from what we're going through right now as a culture. Oh yeah, uh, and just what they're exploring in that. I'm like, man, this shit's. And they even have Trump on the track, you know, <laughs> like, right, right, Trump right. doing like reggae, like dance hall reggae. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Trump, Trump, Trump. Yeah, man. Those songs are like Fat Cat's Bigger Fish yeah. is such a great song about class and also um you know how how politicians are owned by the corporations and um you know i love the punchline of of how he feels like he's uh you know uh killing it by swindling in all these different kinds of ways he goes to burger king and he he gets himself a free burger and he i love that line it off of someone you know in the streets and and he gets into this uh you know party where he's getting tips or whatever mm-hmm. and then he realizes that a lot of the stuff that he's doing although he feels like he's slick right. it's petty in the whole sch- scheme of things yeah. compared to how slick the corporations are mm-hmm. you know that are jacking people by the millions Right. You know, right. where he's he's jacking people by the twenty dollar bill and by the burger. Right. They are literally, you know, owning an entire cities. Right. He thinks he sees the big picture because he's he's got street smarts, but then he gets that perspective shift where suddenly he realizes that even his hustle is is but a pawn in the hustles of these larger actors. Right. I'm getting hustled only knowing half the game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's you're just like whoa. Yeah, at the, at the end there, the zoom out is mm-hmm. what you get. Yeah, and you realize that he's just an ant mm-hmm. on the reminds me of the end of Men in Black where yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> they zoom out and there's aliens that are or that they're just like a little marble and in the, the whole uh, you know little little game of of the universe. Right. Uh, well, or that- when they up the locker and yeah. you know they're just these We're little just marbles and aliens aliens getting yeah i love that yeah movie. i got to give a shout out you know this wouldn't be on a lot of people's but uh big willie style was a huge album for me growing up i love mm. dj jazzy jeff those beats and uh you know just you know miami getting jiggy with it like uh it's all good you know for what he was, you know, those, oh. those Will Smith songs were bangers, you know. Those were some of the most catchy, <laughs> catchy songs of all time. You know, me and my brother have a term, uh, you know, because technically, you know, we get lumped in with uh, the generation known as the millennials. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us, like, you know, we kind of have a problem with it. We feel like millennials describe 
maybe the generation that's just a couple years below us because we're mm. like these ones that straddled the internet and we can remember there's a whole part of the millennials that don't remember life before the internet. Right. And so, you know, I got to give credit to Tony for coming up with the words, but I, I fully stand behind it, which is our subsect. We're not the millennials. We're the willennials. <laughs> Cause if you remember that album and that, if you were alive when that album was the hottest shit, you're a willennial and you get yeah. that transition of, uh, you know, the early days of the internet, you know, coming of age, after a childhood spent, you know, before it changed the world and, you know, coming of age, uh, trying to download dirty pictures one pixel at a time, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it was a different, we, we, we've definitely crossed several different uh, just cultural worlds. I mean, we definitely touched the area where as a kid, you wanted to be riding your bike. You know, you wanted to go down to the Woodacre Improvement Club and, and take a swim. You wanted to go to Kent Lake or, uh, you know, the Ink Wells. Um, you wanted to chill with your, your buddy. I mean, you you know, we, we did get into a lot of video games, the yeah. N64. But even um, our video games were like split screen multiplayer playing next to your friend punching him in the arm you know super smash bros like yeah it, it wasn't all you know so separate and isolated absolutely absolutely it's my biggest beef with modern gaming is that it's not just an option they've taken away the ability to be physically present with other people while you're playing games and it, you know, it's hard because I keep trying to find titles that even I can play with my brother just in the room. Right. And right. it's most games these days are one player and you, they expect you to be connected to the Internet, which, you know, for me, like, I'm never going to be able to compete with a 15 year old who doesn't pay rent. I'm sorry. I just I'm not willing right. to invest the time to get that competitively good at one of these popular games. Um, right. So I'm relegated to playing like, you know, one player story mode, which is fun. But, you know, unless we're talking sports, you know, I play a lot of 2K with my brother. But that's largely also because there aren't a lot of options for us, us uh, old OG, you know, N64 guys, <laughs> you know. And right. That's why those right. games or still have a lot of like, appeal. Yeah, they do. I couldn't believe it when all of a sudden there were games. Even I think Halo switched it up to where you couldn't play split screen. Really? And I was like, what? Are you yeah. kidding me? You know, I mean, there was, was nothing the last, like, like truly like split screen, like that and Call of Duty were kind of the last like four player like games, mm -hmm. um, which is weird to think about, right? Cause like the N64 was such a breakthrough having four controllers. Oh, yeah. But, like, you would assume that that would be a feature on all the newer consoles, but we're back down to, like, two or even one, you know, with with the newer ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there was nothing like getting into a room with four of your buddies doing some GoldenEye oh. or Perfect Dark or, yeah, Mario Kart, something like that. For sure. Yeah. 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 
Cool, man. Well, hey, dude, this was a an amazing conversation. I uh, I feel like I could talk to you about hip hop and culture, you know, uh, it, without end. We just did like almost four hours. It's like, was it really? Yeah, I think we're at like the three forty three mark right here, and uh, and it doesn't even feel like a stretch at all. So, you know, maybe at some point I can have you back on, and we can do another. You know, maybe we do our top 10 artists or, you know, we would even just talk about life. I, I'm trying to keep this podcast open-ended as far as, um, you know, it doesn't need to be any anything. I, I think that, like, it's interesting enough just to talk about life. You're an interesting pers- person to talk to about this kind of stuff. So thanks a lot for coming on, man. Absolutely, man. Uh, thanks for having me. And, you know, you know my schedule's open. <laughs> Let's do it again soon. I know... Everybody out there's got a lot of time and and hungry for content, so we'll try to uh, to bring it back for y'all. All right, buddy. Thanks. Good talking to you, man. Yeah. All right. Wow. Man, I can't believe we 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 did three hours and forty five minutes. That was crazy. But I gotta say, from where I was sitting, um, it was just really easy to get lost in the conversation. Um, you know, this is definitely, a, as you could probably tell, a topic that we're both pretty passionate about. And uh, I think for me and Brandon, certainly something that was like a primary, you know, bonding element during the early days of our friendship. Um, I, I haven't talked to Brandon in years, so it was super cool connecting to him in this creative space and uh, getting the opportunity to catch up through doing this process, you know, a seemingly insane process of trying to uh, curate our own <clears throat> hip hop playlists or top tens, what have you. Um, but he was a champ. Um, he 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 really did came through with the uh, with the lists, and you know, Unlike in the first conversation, it was interesting to see where the parallels were. We definitely had some some similar titles. And I got to say, you know, uh, I've been telling people that this one was coming out. And uh, Brandon, you know, most people out there that I've talked to are like, oh, Brandon's top 10 list. Like, for sure, there's going to be a Tupac in the number one spot. So, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think you surprised the world uh, with your choice. And, uh, you know... You know, I know in high school, Brandon was like, a, you know, he was a he was a Tupac guy for sure. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be the Tupac fan that I am today if it wasn't for Brandon's influence. And um, that's something I've always really appreciated. Um, you know, we all need, you know, these characters in our life who come and kind of grab us by the shoulders and shake us and are like, how do you not? like know of this or how do you not like this thing you need like you need to like this art like you're my friend and this is something that I love so much and I want that for you and we're going to sit down until you get what I'm getting about it you know and because you know we're humans it's it's we're not always open to new tastes or you know maybe you don't want tomato on your hamburger you know maybe you've gone your whole life I never got I don't eat tomato on my cheeseburgers and then that one day, well, we only make tomatoes with cheeseburgers. And then you give it a try. And what do you know? Now you like tomato on your cheeseburger. You never would have known if you didn't have it. 
And, uh, you know, so thank you, Brandon, for putting, you know, tomato on my cheeseburger because uh, I never would have realized, you know, what I was missing if you hadn't. And, um, you know, many thanks again, too, for, for coming on and, and giving me so much time. That was one of those conversations that I think really needed to breathe and, and, and have its space to, to grow into what it did. Um, we certainly took a lot of left turns. And I think you can feel that energy of two people that haven't really talked in a couple of years, getting a chance to like explore, you know, their mind, each, each other's minds in this, uh, in this space. So, um, it's the second episode. I, I felt like things went really smoothly and, uh, I hope you guys all out there, uh, really enjoyed it. And I'm going to keep doing these and trying to get more and more interesting folks on and, um, hopefully producing stuff that people want to hear. So, uh, to all you guys, all you listeners, all you guys and gals out there, this is Hobart of the Bartcast signing off.